Talk Recorded live. Hoaxbusters call. Join the discussion by dialing 724-447-444. Call ID 90337. Hey, 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 hey. Hey. How you doing? Yeah, it's uh, Monday, December 19th, 2016. And, uh... I'm Chris here. I'm the host of the uh, Hoaxbusters Call, and we're doing the Hoaxbusters Call tonight. Uh, let's see who's on the chat to tonight. Let's look. That's how we find out. Uh, ounce of Salt Per Day, Jimmy Boy, Kalita Brigante, Mahat McCoat. Not so free, Mason. Richard Benedict, seventy-three. Rich dis de, destroy d s t r o i. Uh, Cy girl caller guy Eli, and tin foil hat. Right on. Good. 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 Um. So let's go to the. Hoaxbusters call notes for the quote from the notes. Uh, I got a couple I just put into the quote hopper. I like this one from George or allegedly from George Orwell. Maybe it's in one of his books. I don't know. Uh, Eric Blair, George Orwell, whatever you want to call him. Political language, dot, 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 is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. That is what political language does. And uh, that is definitely true. It's like the use of language to well i think it's it's primarily used to bamboozle people to make you doubt your own conscience your own inner moral compass and your own you have this these words of art and it's kind of a it's it's not it, it is is it a it, it is a refined form of tactical manipulation that people are adept at in our system at the rulership level or perceived authoritative authoritative folks in our system. Uh, I've talked about this many times how, you know, if someone is in a position of authority, it's usually that person is going to be adept at words of art or political speak. That's when you get them on the, uh, oh, if they're on a talk, 
show or they're doing a interview in the public and then you can listen to them answer a question and they don't answer the question and really they they talk they sound like they're answering the question but if you pick apart what they're saying and if you were to critically analyze it maybe write write it down or get a transcript of it or something and say what did okay what did this guy just say he he said a lot they asked him one question and he went on for about four or five minutes talking but he but then you go through line by line and it's like okay this this dude didn't even answer the question he didn't even it sounded like he did i thought he did but it's like well no it's he didn't answer the question that's a politician that's how they're that's how they attain the position that they attain and you see it all throughout the all all throughout the system you know even at your local police or something you'll see like oh so-and-so's chief of police now if he's being put into the position of chief of police it's probably a to one degree or another adept at poly speak or politic politic talk or whatever you want to call it. And uh, that is something I think that is good to kind of be aware of. Because when you're going to confront these people, it's like you don't, you're not going to get a straight answer. You're going to get... Uh, and you'll notice this too. If you talk to a lower level bureaucrat, it's it, and you ask them some pointed questions, and they're always afraid to answer questions. They're always very hesitant, reluctant. They're sort of uh, really eager to pass it off to somebody else. You know, if, it, depending on what the question is, of course. But uh, they're see what the problem is with them is they're not adept at the. Uh, the 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 political speech or the words of art or the uh it, it also is sort of i i i don't even want to make a distinction between that and legalese because i think i think there's a, a smooth continuum between both types of speaking and uh yeah cops do this to some degree or another not as good as some of the others. Like I'm saying, like if they're really good at it, they'll be chief of police or some kind of public, uh, like the, uh, uh, Lieutenant Vance on the Sandy hook thing. Uh, he was pretty good slick talker that he was the spokesman. Uh, he got shit canned and got sent to the part of the, uh, to preside over the meter maids. And they say it was because of a, a, a call someone made to his office. And he had said some kind of, candid stuff where he came out and he just blurted out the truth you know allegedly this is what happened and this is how he ended up getting removed from his position as the uh pub public relations dude right and so supposedly this lady well it's on youtube and she talks to him about you know the uh, all, all the glaring issues with this the whole Sandy Hook thing and kind of you know suggesting that yeah okay so he's he's sort of doing this uh cover up or he's engaged in it and and then there's like a sort of skirting around that topic but anyway it came down to where you'll hear this a lot from people that are uh 
freedom rights activists or what have you, libertarian or whatever you want to call it. I don't label people or put them in category, but you know what I'm talking about. You're talking about certain people that are engaging with this thing called government. And what they'll typically do is, you know, make make these incessant appeals to this thing, the Constitution, the, the, the sacred parchment, the, the powdered wig guys gave us. It's like this. A lot of people they they adopt that as as a as like a religion. No, it's not like a religion. It it, it is a religion. It is no doubt a religion. It's got every you check off every box as far as religion goes. And then the the const, the parchment worshippers is what what I call them. And she was engaging in parchment worship, and she's like, "You're a public servant. You work for us. You know." And you you swore an oath to the Constitution, like he swore, like you. Okay, if that's not Christian, because that's in the Bible, it says not to swear else. So that's not a Christian. When you're saying you swore an oath of the Constitution, that's not Christian. I don't know what that is, but it's not it's not biblical and it's not Christian. So I I don't know because people want to like tie and marry those two things together, like love for the Constitution and rights. And Christianity, and it's like, no, those they're not compatible. There's like, you know, but people want them to be, for, they really desperately want them to be compatible, but they're just absolutely not. You don't swear oaths. But uh, you swore an oath, and, and you're, you're the, uh, we're the master, you're the servant. And he said something to the effect that, no, I am the master. And he, he stated correctly, yeah, you know, you, 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 you are subservient to these the these people that are identified as government. No doubt about it. In reality, in practice, in, in all everyday, day-to-day life, yeah, you're subject to them. And because they have the guns and they have the jails, period. And, and uh, end of sentence. And uh, that's some of, sometimes it's hard for these patriot people and the libertarian people to really get that through their heads. They just can't never get it through their heads. It's like, no, they're the master... The guys with the guns are are the ones in charge. Um, that that that's the way it goes. But 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 my, my constitution is like no, who cares? They they don't if they don't care about it, then it's it's a it's moot, right? M O O T moot. They they clearly don't care about it. But um, kind of leads me to a post that I made recently caller Jim and not call uh, listener Jim sent it in. Appreciate that, man. Uh, and it's going into the experiments that were conducted in Stanford university. I believe the Stanley Milgram experiment experiments, the Stanford prison experiment, uh, the conformity experiments of Solomon Ash, the bystander effect, the uh, Kitty Genovese effect, uh, the Jane Elliott's blue-eyed, brown-eyes experiment. All these different kind of experiments that were conducted to analyze like people's responses to authority or authority figures. And uh, th- this is... Um, Something, you know, we've talked about before. Some people are questioning, it's like, oh, are those even real? Do they really do those? Is that really true? It's like, no, nah, I, I I tend to think so. I don't know what they, 
as far as like a rigid application of the scientific method, I, who knows? I don't know. But, you know, what they've described in there. There's also footage out there of it. You know, the electric shock experiments. If you're not, if you're not familiar with it, yeah, you can check those out. Milgram experiments. But anyway, they took people and they put them in a, in a situation where they uh, sign up to participate in this study. They go into the uh, study facility and then they uh, are told, yeah, this is a question answer session. We got this guy in this other room. He's supposed to answer these questions. And then your job is to sit here at this little panel and you got these little buttons. And then if he answers in incorrectly, you give him a little, give him a little shock. You send him a little jolt electricity. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, so people, you know, did, you know, oh, okay. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, most people did, you know, like, um, but then they would, the part of the experiment is they would continually ramp the voltage up. Like you'd had a, like a little panel. With a, it was all rigged and it was all fake. And the guy in the room was an actor and all that, but the person supposedly participating, in it was not, it was not in on it supposedly. And that's how the, that's, that's the story behind the Milgram experiment thing. But anyway, they, they, uh, would continue through the experiment to the point where, like they were admitted some, some pretty high dosages and the guy's in the other room, he's like an actor, but he's like screaming out, ah, oh, stop or I got, I got heart trouble. It's, I can't handle this. You know? And then the person would say, yeah, I don't know. Is that guy okay in there? I don't know if I'm going to do this. He says, oh yeah, it's fine. You know, I'm, I'm the, uh, you know, administrator of this experiment here. I take full responsibility. Go ahead, go ahead. And, uh, we're going to continue on this. And they said like, the majority of people would do it. I don't know what the percentages are. I don't know how, I mean, that's, uh, it, it is, uh, probably true. I would think, I mean, just based on my life experience, my own empirical firsthand observations of people that I've worked with situations that I've been in and stuff like that. It's like, Oh yeah, I, I, I could totally see people doing that in that context, just shocking the living shit out of somebody to the point where they're like, could, could conceivably die. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, I, I'm not responsible because this guy told me to, and he's an authority. And they said that the only thing that, you know, communicated that they were an authority is they were wearing these white lab coats. And it was sort of like a clinical setting where it was like, and very kind of, you know, formal and they had clipboards and blah, blah, blah. Come on in. MC, what's your name? You know, they give you some question, answer things, all very formal. It's like every time you go into like a, see a doctor or government procedures or a checkup or whatever, it's like that. It's all very, official appearing and feeling and so like when the person that represented themselves as, a, as an authority you know in the lab code it was like hey this guy is in charge of this whole thing it's it's obviously some kind of an official sanction on this it's okay i i know this guy in the other room is screaming his head off and he's flipping out and he's saying he's gonna die but hey this is this is uh an authority figure here and i and i and who am i to say that shocking the shit out of somebody is is you know of the wrong thing to do it's like i, I, don't, I don't know it's like the, i guess everything's situational right the, or you know 
you know, says, uh, well, in this circumstance, it's fine. You know, he said it's fine. He told me it's fine. But, um, so yeah, that's, that's posted up there. And I, and I got to thinking about this as far as, uh, trying to like, think about, okay, like why now, why is that now? Why is it, you know, somebody's in a lab coat in a, in a, in a setting like that. And people just defer to them. Like they're, they're some sort of a God or there's some sort of a, you know, it's like, and, and they can get people to violate their what should be a, a a moral barrier to doing something like that right and they could just leap right over it with the presence of an authority figure telling them to do it it's 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 it, it's it's pretty insane you know you think about it it's like and then well of course you know we talk about well people are conditioned from a very young age to defer to an authority figure and, you know, you go to school, you go, you get, you get introduced to your teacher. She tells you what to do. You're separated from your parents. But something else that I kind of realized when I was thinking this over is that, no, this starts earlier than that. And because uh, it tied in with some other stuff that I was talking. I talked about this a while back. And that's the whole modern medical system approach to childbirthing. I was saying, yeah, that is that is something I think significant that really doesn't get talked about a whole lot when we talk about stuff like mind control, conditioning, social conditioning, stuff like that. You know, it's like usually people will talk about it in terms of like institutional exposure, you know, throughout your life. But no, that's, that is an institution, right? The hospital where you're born, like the first day you enter this earth, this world, you are introduced to the lab coat guy, right? The lab coat guy, Who, who's this lab coat guy, the doctor, the thing It's like, Oh, Chris, that's silly. Is the, uh, baby don't know what's going on they can't even see or they just like they don't know you don't remember any of that it's like i don't know about that you may not be able to like call that up like the day you were born like all that stuff you remember that day it's like no i don't i don't remember it i don't know i mean consciously but what about like subconsciously they say like you you hold on to like everything you've ever saw, everything you've ever experienced, it's somewhere inside your psyche, you know? And, uh, I got to think about this. And I said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, as far as <clears throat> interpreting these, uh, Milgram experiment experiments and stuff. And then just overall, it's just, a, it's just a given that people are very different to this thing called authority and lab coats and people that, you know, to the point where, I mean, you can even point out that, yeah, people will take their child down to a clinic and there's a lab coat guy again. And like, they start uh, shooting them up with, you know, all these vaccines and all this stuff and the baby's screaming and the parents there and there's, Oh, it's okay. It's, it's a doctor doing it. And my baby's in pain and getting shot with needles and, God knows what is inside this stuff, and they don't even bother to look at the labels or what the ingredients are. It's like, oh, it's a doctor. It's okay. It's a doctor. He's a doctor. He's a good, good man. And 
he's gonna he wouldn't ever do anything to harm anybody's because he's got uh, education and he's got training and yeah okay i understand that we've all been kind of conditioned and brainwashed with that but no, when you think about it, it's like, no, this started day one of your life. This started, this conditioning started day one. And it's like, the first guy you come in contact is the lab coat dude, the doctor. Maybe he's not wearing a lab coat. Maybe he's wearing scrubs or whatever, but it's the same difference. You get born, right? And they even start doing stuff before you, while you're in the birth canal. Like I was checking out this one thing. Uh... Darn it, what is it called? I just had it up here. Well, let me open up my old tab. I know I have it right. Yeah, it's a fetal... It's the uh, fetal heart monitor that they go up the birth canal there through the vagina there. And this is standard now, from what I understand. And this uh, website, this blog has it, birthofanewearthblogspot.com. You want to look it up. Hospital birth torture device created by Israelis. Uh, fetal heart monitor screwed directly into baby's head and mother's cervix. So it's got this little electrode thing. It's got like this corkscrew with this like hook on it. And they go up the birth canal like I was talking about up up through there, and they take this thing and they screw it into the baby's head. I mean, literally screw the damn thing into the baby's head. And uh, so, yeah, this this whole birth trauma procedure, it's like you're getting, like before you're even out, they're like doing crap to you like that. Sticking crap in you, like corkscrewing shit into your scalp. And that's, and and, um, yeah, babies feel pain. So it's like that's you're feeling the pain. And then actually children feel they have more sensitivity to pain. So it but they go forward with all this stuff as if babies don't feel any pain or or I guess the idea is, oh, yeah, you know, shit, you know, like I was saying earlier, oh, you don't remember none of that stuff. So it's no harm, no foul. So they get that going, corkscrew that shit in your head. And I guess it's supposed to track where you're at in the birth canals other nonsense and bullshit that they do. And then that's after they shoot the mother up with, uh, the, these, uh, sculpt. What is it? What's that stuff called? It's, uh, it, it, it induces labor. It's like causes the contractions to really, uh, come on very intensely and rapidly. So it's very unnatural situation. And, and then, and they, uh, I've heard, you know, these natural childbirth advocates stuff talking about this stuff. And they're saying, no, that's not natural. Childbirth is not real. Natural childbirth is not that traumatic at all. Not even close. But the reason why it's so traumatic when you go to the hospital, because yeah, they shoot you up with all these drugs and stuff. And, uh, you know, we talked about when we talked about this before saying, yeah, they, they're, they, they're on a clock, you know, so time is money, money is time. They get you in there and get you out. They got a golf game coming up and it's like, they get the baby out, get the baby out. Let's get the baby out. Let's speed it up. Let's get some drugs in this woman. Let's get her, let's get her dilating. Let's get her contractions going. And they artificially induce all this shit. But, um, you know, a lot of people are pointing out, it's like, this is, this is, uh, 
horrible, you know? It's like the babies put them through all this trauma. Well, yeah, it's it's bad for the baby, you know? I, I went through it. I was in a born in a hospital. I'm sure most people listening to this probably went through the same thing. But I think it's it's important because you're going to be born into this system and you got to you got to get your mind right. Like it says in Cool Hand Luke, like, you know, and they're get they're helping you get your mind right. And then and the first thing to do is just work you over real good. And if you're a male, that's that's the, the screw in the head is the least of your worries, because what they're going to do after that is going to be uh, considerably worse. And of course, I'm talking about circumcision. So they go in there and they start hacking off your, they start hacking away at your genitalia, which is, uh, I, I you know, painful. It's it's, it's got to be painful. I don't like I said I don't remember it, but I'm sure it hurt bad. Uh, but now, what is this? What is the context that all this is taking place in? Well, it's the, it's the lab coat guys, you know. Now, I, I think you remember all this stuff on some level, you know, and it's, it's some it's embedded into your psyche. And, uh, you know, yeah, babies can see and look around when they're maybe eyes can't focus or whatever, but they get a sense of where they're at and they get a sense of everything going on, at least, you know. And uh, so you build you're building all these associations and stuff. Well, you know, you go through this traumatic experience and it's very frightening. You don't know what the hell is going on, and you're just an infant, and you're just like, okay, first appearance in the in the in the world is it's like you got these you got these uh, uh, lab coats, you know, going around all over the place inside this bright lights in this in this uh, hospital, which is like you know, it, it's a really traumatic theater going on there and i think it's theater because like i don't like the screw in the cork the the sensor in the head and doing all that that's nonsense and bullshit it's all it's in the inducing drugs it's not it's not necessary and i i think that it is it could be likened to like a a hoax a, a traumatic hoax event i mean the pain is real but the uh reasons for doing it like cutting off your foreskin and all that is just nonsensical like why, why? Okay, so what else can you cut off the body there? You know, uh, just you know, start hacking away and cutting stuff off. It's like what? Why? You know, it's like oh, well, some you you ask people, they don't know what the hell. Oh, what? Oh, you got a foreskin? It's like no, are you crazy? I don't have a foreskin. They cut that off at the hospital. It's like why? It's like uh oh, get you get infected or whatever. It's like. Uh, you never heard of soap? And it's like, you know, it's like, what? Well, it's because they invented soap like a while back, you know. But, no, that's supposedly the reason or something like that. Then, of course, you know, you'll probably get 10 different answers if you ask 10 different people, 10 different doctors, you know. No, no, it's just what they do. It's just tradition. And, uh, of course, the people, you know, want to point out, oh, that's what the, that's, that's, a, it's a Jewish ritual, which, yeah, I don't doubt that. Um, but is that the prime reason because it's, it's a Jewish custom or ritual? No, it's because it's traumatic and it does other things. It affects you, you know, your sexual life and your development, stuff like that. And then you're going through this process and you're taken away from your mother and you don't bond properly. And there's all this stuff goes on. But I, but I think that is 
done for the express purpose of introducing you to your first taste of authority. And it's got to be traumatic. It's got to be fearful. What do they, they show this all the time too when the baby's born. I don't know if they do this routinely still, or they used to, or they probably still do it. They hold the baby by the ankles upside down and smack them on the butt. So you get a spanking right away. You didn't even do, I, I just got here. I didn't do shit. It's like, no, I'm getting spanking. It's like, wow. Just wow. Right off the, right of the, and it's like, and then so your parents are there and you get introduced to your parents, like after you've gone through this. So it's like, so you're, you're establishing your first experience with interpersonal relationships. And then you have this, lab coat interjected into all of this when it's like naturally you know you, your first experience is your mother you bond with the mother you bond with your dad they're there they're present you know extended family and primarily you know you 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 spend your as an infant you, you're nurtured by your mother but see that that does that's all this intervention is in the modern uh version of uh birthing and yeah, and then now that I've thought about this in relation with these Milgram experiments and the obedience to authority, it's like, yeah, that's why people are so damn deferent to the lab coat guys, because they have that deeply embedded association that has been instilled into them from at, at birth. I said, yeah, that makes a lot. Of, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Maybe it doesn't to you, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense to me. And it's, it is part of your whole introduction. And in, because you you're born into the system, you know, they get you. A, now, people have discussed how, oh, you get issued a birth certificate. And it's traded on the stock market. It's like, I don't know. It probably. Yeah, that's probably true. Like you're a commodity. You're, you know, you, you, you know, and all that. But yeah, part of it is like, yeah, you get you get introduced to authority and then, you know, the, the first authority is the, the, the medical establishment. And then you can go throughout your life. You get to the point where you come to some realizations and you go on a line and look and it says, Oh, medical industry is the third leading cause of death. And it's like, Oh, wow, really? And this is according to like a peer reviewed study. And it's pretty well established, pretty well documented. It's pretty well backed up. And it's got the statistics. It's got the numbers. And it's got all the stuff. It's, yeah, it's third leading cause of death. And maybe you might look into it even further. And then you take into consideration that there's very drastic underreporting on all these uh, medical-related deaths. And then it's like, based on that, it is probably by far the first leading cause of death. And then you can recall people that you know that were walking around and they start going to the doctor and then the next thing you know, they're dead. And it's like, well, Chris, how do you know they just didn't get sick and die from the sickness? It's like, how do you know they didn't die from the doctor? I, I know like several people that were in sort of the prime of their life. And then they started going to the doctor, started getting on medication. It's like, bam, they're dead. Uh, my dad died of, uh, he got diagnosed with cancer and he's, he's dead. So he went through chemotherapy. It's like, I don't know. Did the chemotherapy kill him or did the cancer kill him? I was like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but then it's like, why do people that don't go to doctors? Don't, I, I, I don't know. No, you just don't know. Right. I mean, you, you, you don't, 
you don't know. But anyway, that information is out there. You know, it's third leading cause of death, most likely the first leading cause of death. And people still defer to this authority. And then, like, you can go into these discussions about, oh, I don't know, is vaccines good or bad? Well, I don't know. It's like the doctor says to take them. And it's like, uh, yeah, but they're the first leading cause of death. See, that never enters into the debate, does it? No, it's like they, you get, you go to the debate. Like, I had this debate online with this. Dr. Mary Tudor, she's supposed to be some highfalutin um, advocate for, you know, all this stuff they do in the medical. Like, she's shilling for all that. You know, vaccines are great, and uh, hospital childbirths is great, and it prevents so many deaths and stuff like that. And it's like, it's all this stuff is great. And then I, you know, she banned me from her forum because I was, like, just simply showing our articles or, you know, like I'm just discussing where it's like, yeah, here's a third leading cause of death. And so my question by showing her that it's like, where, I mean, so you have this, this uppity sort of opinion of yourself as almost like this godlike status is like, this is not warranted lady. Here's this article that says you're, this a, you're the third leading cause of death. It's like, where the, where are you getting off? And, uh, that, typically doesn't enter the discussion so it's it's like it's almost like they have this lofty position of authority where they speak and then like what their all their words whole way it's like not you're not when you're the third leading cause of death no you don't have all you don't you should not have that authority you shouldn't have people naturally defer to you if that's the case which it clearly is the case which it's clearly documented that it is and it's the third leading cause of death like what where do, where's your where does this uh where do you got this moral high horse hitch to you know it's like not nothing it's like you just you just uh saying all this stuff and it's not none of it's backed up you know it's like and then pointing out that like yeah vaccines uh they had the supreme court thing when the when they started to establish the uh so called vaccine courts where where the pharmaceutical companies can't be sued and uh like any other normal company can be sued you know held liable for the uh you know the harmful nature of their products or whatever damage comes out of it through you know any cup any far as i know any company could be sued for you know if you toyota you know like your accelerator sticks and it you know you in it and and you can't stop and you end up going through the drive-through, but not like you intended. Like you go, drive, you literally drive through the McDonald's, like all the way through it, out the other side. Then that you could sue Toyota, right? But um, no, no. If you if you get a vaccine, the child gets the vaccine, and then you know they're face down on the tile within hours, and it's like, no, you can't sue the pharmaceutical company. You can go to the the pharmaceutical courts that we set up, and that's where you get. Uh, compensation through the taxpayers because they put a tax on the it's like what the fuck so they so that and then during the whole proceedings you can go look that up you can go look at the the court decision where it says the vaccine companies themselves were saying yeah this is you know shooting up this stuff into kids and stuff this is they they said this this is unavoidably unavoidably unsafe (laughs) unavoidably unsafe 
that's not what you tell everybody, and that's not what Mary Tudor tells everybody. She doesn't say unvotedly unsafe, but that's what you're saying. And that's why you need this uh, protection from lawsuits, because your product is unavoidably unsafe. Uh, no, that doesn't enter into the discussion either. Yeah, and I pointed that out, and this and that. And, uh, yeah, I got banned. So, um, so yeah, but it's 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 what happened too is on that forum or, or on her blog it's like all of these people were there was about five or six like just attacking me like attacking me left and right just everything they could throw at me they threw at anything anything other than something related to the actual topic they threw at me you know accused me of whatever everything from being a whatever they could throw out. any any kind of uh, pejorative term I'm a conspiracy theorist and blah 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 and all this and that and um and it's like yeah that's that's part of their reactive reflexive nature being born in the system it's like it's like uh the stock stockholm syndrome is what they call it it's like where you're you get some sort of an attachment to your uh, captors, you know? And I think that has something to do with the birth trauma thing, where it's like you have this, this you know, mind-bending, uh, you know, psychologically traumatizing event, and it's, and it's directly attributed to these doctors, and then somehow, you know, obviously it's going to put the fear into you, on on some level and it's subconsciously you don't remember it consciously most of it or all of it but then you know because you, you got to wonder it's like okay you're you're not looking at anything i'm giving you and you just don't care you're just like you doc dr mary tudor is the best and you're going to defend her no matter what no matter what you can be shown no matter what it's like yeah yeah and that's why so many people still put their absolute faith in doctors you know it's like there there is some deeply embedded psychology going on there it's it's not based on uh you know evidence and facts and what can be perceived or uh gleaned from experience or the five senses it's just some some sort of uh deeply embedded mind control and um and then i i just you know thinking about this stuff and going into it and listening to that podcast audio and all that is just, it, I come to the realization. It's like, yeah, this is uh, something that they start doing to you the day you were born. And that has a lot of explanatory power of why it is so deeply ingrained into people to defer to authority. And, uh, that makes sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to you, but uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's 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 got something to do with uh, so-called birth trauma. But uh, I have a uh, I have this. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit about what that is. Do 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 do. And this is from birthtraumaassociation.org.uk. 
So when we talk uh, when we talk of birth trauma, we mean post traumatic stress disorder. I'm sure a lot of people have heard that. Uh, that occurs after childbirth. We also include those women who may not meet the clinical criteria for PTSD, but who have some of the symptoms of the disorder. PTSD is the term for a set of normal reactions to a traumatic, scary, or bad experience. It is a disorder that can occur following the experience or witnessing of life-threatening events. We usually recognize these as things like military combat, natural disasters, terrorist incidents, serious incidents, or, or violent personal assaults like rape. However, a traumatic experience can be any experience involving the threat of death or serious injury to an individual or another person close to them, e.g. their baby. Uh, So it is now understood that post-traumatic stress disorder can be a consequence of a traumatic birth. So, yeah, it's interesting they throw terrorism incidents in there because that's the modern-day trauma ongoing trauma that we're all subjected to is being subject to these terror events and uh yeah it's like a continuation of what the process you've been involved in since birth and uh yeah i think that it is well, it goes a long way in explaining how how you can observe people be so totally non-thinking. You know, they just they just abandon coherent thought, reason, their 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 reasoning faculties, and just go with what the doctor says. Go with what the authority figure says. Go, no matter how insane like what do they give like 40 vaccines it's just absolutely ridiculous you know that's what they said you gotta have them and you gotta get booster shots too so you don't get re-inhabited by your uh your viruses it's like yeah so you're gonna get how many shots? I don't know. It's it's an absurd amount. It used to be like, uh, I think when I was a kid, it was only like five or six. Uh, now it's like 40. I don't know. I guess it depends. Maybe it's not that many. It's somewhere. It's up there. It's in the multiple. It's in the multiple dozens at least. Uh, wow. Yeah, it is hard to understand, but it's easier to understand if you like. Well, yeah, this is the tip. The average person has been conditioned since day one. Day one, you come out of the not even before you're out of the birth canal, you're being conditioned, and then it starts to make sense. Then it starts to make more sense. Then you can figure out like, why do people vote when it's so obviously purposeless? It's like, well, we're told to. So you got to participate in your democracy. It's like, oh, you have to? Well, how is that? And how, oh, so you don't have any option. You got to pick one of these choices that you're given. It's like, that doesn't make any damn sense. Well, for one thing, I don't know these people. But they're authorities. They're, 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 they're wannabe authorities or they're not authorities yet, but they're going to, we got to pick one to rule over us. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know these people, though. 
uh, well, you didn't know your school teacher, Chris, and you did what she said, and it, you know. Yeah, interesting thing, too, and I was looking at uh, this documentary about conditioning, mind control conditioning, and stuff like that, and how, you know, it's engaged in schools. And I thought about this, too. It's like, okay, you're removed from your parents at a very young age, you know. What is kindergarten? Like five, six years old? It's like really young. And, uh, you know, you're at this developmental stage in life. So it's like you you are going to need, like, attention, affection, reassurance, you know, that you normally get from your parents. I, I know that I, I sound like a weirdo and, and kind of crazy, but, yeah, that's I, I believe that's where you're supposed to get your... You know your your attention, affection, everything from your parents when you're when you're when you're little, not not from. Te- not saying that teachers are evil or bad, but it's like that's not normal or it's not natural. You know, but then you go to your teeth, and then it's like so you got you're gonna naturally want to seek approval from, you know, adults, and then you know you're. You're, you're put into this artificial construct, the school, the institution, and then, like, you're emotionally, you you have emotional needs, you know, as a child. You know, you're, you're, you haven't developed your own independent personality or anything yet, and you, you're in this development stage. So it's like, yeah, so that's, so you already went through your birth trauma and all that, and you made it through okay on that. You, I mean, made it through okay, and it's, you didn't, you don't, you didn't go face down on the tile you didn't go uh so you, you made it all you, and then you go to school and then you got to go through how many years of school and that's a lot of conditioning too but then you gotta like get your emotional needs met from the teacher so you like how do i get a- approval well you got to do the routines right the rote learning and all that and i it doesn't I, I don't think that what you're learning as far as like what practical knowledge or your colors or your alphabet or whatever, that's going to have some kind of practical application. But I think the, and you, you know, you could, you could teach a child the alphabet just yourself. You know, if you're a parent, you could teach, I, you know, I did, I teach my net, I teach my nephew, uh, when he was little, I taught him the alphabet. Just like in a few, like it's just casually, like, hey, yeah, what's this letter and stuff like that. He learned it in no time. The little kid, little boy, like he's four, five, you know, he learned it no problem. He, before he went to school, he was already knew his alphabet and all that stuff. And then my sister would say, oh, yeah, he, teacher said he's like, he already knows his alphabet. It's like, yeah, I taught him. It's like, it, it's, it's, their brain is like a sponge, you know? But so what's the, so, why do they go spend so much time in school, you know, just to learn that freaking alphabet? Like, what, is, what does a kindergartner know when they get done with that? It's like, do they know a bunch of stuff? Because they spend an awful lot of time there. No, it's not about learning the alphabet and stuff. It's about the conditioning process. And you go there every day when you should be with your parents, but you're with, with this teacher and you're in this uh, institutional environment. And everything's regimented, and you got to obey. You got to stand in line. You got to like suppress your uh, your inborn nature to as a child to run and run and scream and play and get into the dirt. You got to suppress all that all day long. And 
so that that is the the process that you got to you have to undergo to be a member and then they say this too like oh yeah to be a productive member of society and then it's it's always starts with a good education and we got to and you hear this all the time and it makes me sick you know it's like you, you know it's all oh, so important that children get an educated what are we going to do about education Not education education this education that is a common core good is it bad or whatever it's like and they debate or on and on about that it's like well uh, how about like is it is it a good idea to have their children raised by somebody that's not their parents? Maybe that's a, you know, check your premise. Um, but no, it's like, no, we don't do that. We want to debate common core or it's good or not. But, uh, well, no, it's not going to, it's going to turn their brain into mush, but that's going to help the people who put that in there. And then it's going to help, you know, when you get out to be a worker drone and stuff, it's, it's, it's for that. It's not for your child to be, smart or to know or anything that's beneficial to them is going to benefit it's going to benefit the paymasters that put the stuff in obviously it always has it always will that's what school's there to begin with anyway but no we're not going to talk about that uh oh it's common core good as bad as like you know two plus two equal five just as good as two plus two it's like that doesn't matter they're going to get the conditioning and that's what matters and the more compliant you are the better you'll do um, do I got collar inners? I think I do. I got collar guy Eli. I got tinfoil hat on hold. So, uh, yeah, what I'll do, let me play this, uh, number call out thing of a jig here. And then we'll take some callers. And that will be okay, students. That's the end of this part of the class. And now we're going to go to this other part where we're going to take callers and they're going to talk. And you have to listen intently, everybody. Take notes. And we're going to write some shit on the chalkboard. And so I don't know. Why am I talking like that? It's like uh, people respond to that. We're all conditioned to do that, right? I don't know. I think we're past that point now, but... Uh, yeah. Conditioning. Conditioning. Condi- conditioning. Yeah, it's re- repetitive. It's repetitive. It's repetitive. So you go day after day after day after day till it sinks into your head what you're supposed to do. Like, what do I... I go to the school. I don't want to be here. I hate it. What am I supposed to do? It's like... I don't like getting in trouble. I got a paddle in my first day of school in first grade. And then it's like, oh, it's like, no, you do what you're told. Little Christopher, little Johnny boy, little Timmy boy, little little uh, Shirley girl. You do what you're told. That's what you do. And the teacher here is to tell you what to do, how to, how, you know, to think. And then she's going to ask you questions and you got to give the right answers because she's told you what the answers are before. You're supposed to listen and remember. And then when they ask you that question again, you got to have the right answer. Doesn't matter if the answer is wrong. Doesn't matter if the powder wig man is a ridiculous fairy tale that was made up. It's a made up contrived deal. I think there was really powder wig man. Don't get me wrong, but... 
like the idea that they're magical somehow and that they can write some stuff down on parchment paper has anything to do with me today. I don't know why you don't get that. You don't get to ask that you get to, it's like, what, where year was the declaration of independence sign? Um, 1776, Miss Crabapple. That's when. Oh, Christopher, that's good. You're a smart boy. You're a smart boy. Oh, thanks, teacher. I'm, I I want to be a smart boy. I don't want to be a bad, dumb boy. Well, you're going to be good. This is, you're going to be a good boy. We're gonna give you, we'll give you a pat on the head. Oh, I sure needed that. I was sitting here and it's like, I don't get any attention from my mom and daddy. I don't know where they're at. But I'm glad teacher's here. And she gave me a pat on the head. Because I know what year the powder wig man wrote the magical thing on the paper. Very, very good. Very, very good. So now you know the basis for our system is powder, powder wig, magic, and, and parchment, and all that. And then it gives you your context. And you start they start to build the construct in your mind, the, the matrix or whatever you want to call it, the construct of the powder wig man and why that's the laws and we got the laws and we got the government where all that came from and the the king was really bad and this is so much better and the powder wig men were so much better than the king. And then, you know, you got to obey the law because that's what everybody wants. You know, they want to go to jail for, you know, having gra- uh, weeds that grow out of the ground. That was all voted on and proved by the people. They want to go to Afghanistan in the 120 degree heat and shoot at uh, shadows and crap over there in the sand. That's what we all voted for. That's what the powdered wig man wanted. Uh, it all makes sense. And you make good grades and you pass and you go on forward and you get, uh, the more you do it and the more crap you can absorb into your spongy brain and regurgitate, the better you do in school. And then it's that way through all life. And then you're, and you follow that pattern and then you start to engage into the drive to be successful. And how do you be successful? Well, you just keep doing what you're doing there. Keep listening to the teacher and repeat after her and then, or him or whoever it happens to be. And then you, you learn your role and then, but you know, by above all things, be obedient to authority. Oh, so let's go. To the callers. I get that line to stop buzzing. So I'll play this. Thank you for listening to the Hoax Busters Call. You can join the discussion by dialing area code 724-444-7444. Caller ID 90337. Hoax 
Tinfoil hat was on first. So let's unmute tinfoil hat right now. Hello, caller. How you doing? In other words, how's it going? I don't hear anything. Let's bring the next... Caller on. Caller guy Eli. Hi, Chris. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Uh, very good. Interesting stuff you're talking about, about the conditioning of people. <laughs> you're the guy from New York? Go, go a little south. Way down south. You were in Puerto Rico. But then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying that. But I, I thought you, I thought you moved to New York or something. I'm, I'm getting. Oh, no, 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 no. But you're still in Puerto Rico. Oh yeah, yeah. All right, cool, man. Yeah, good, good, good to have you on. Did you have a? Yeah, well, did you have a smooth hmm? childbirth? Do you remember a lot about it? You are, are you comfortable talking about your birth experience? Was it no, traumatizing yeah, uh, for you? Well, I don't honestly remember, you know, uh, weird enough, the first memory I have, if I think back to my childhood, the first ever image in my mind was, uh, this is going to sound weird, it was like the sink, uh, like an image of the sink, you know, and the, the dishwashing sink, that's the image I first have. Then I remember. You still remember it? And I woke up. Yeah, I woke up, wow. and it was, I was laying on my bed, and uh, it was, you know, it was uh, in the afternoon, and you got that yellow haze glow coming through the windows, and then I ran out to the to the main uh, part of my house, you know, where the couch is, and I started playing with my sister. That's the first memory I have from my child uh, my childhood. So I had a, I had a dream. I was in the last image I had was the, like a kitchen sink, you know the the hole where the drain is. Then I woke up and I, <laughs> I just ran off and started playing with my sister. Ah, oh, that's interesting that you still you don't have any idea how old you were. Or like uh... I think I was maybe five. I was five or six years old. That's the the the. The most far uh, back I can go, if I recall any memory. Yeah, so but, you don't uh, remember being born or what the hospital was like or anything like that. I guess most people don't. Yeah, uh, from, why I, from what I understand, uh, when you're up to two years, two and a half years old, maybe three, uh, children have what's called implicit memory. You know, you don't really, can't freely recall what you you know, like when you're uh, 
older, you can freely recall, you know, okay, this last Sunday I did this or last year I did that. You know, you can't go back and freely recall any uh, experience or memory. So when you're a child, up to two years three uh, to three, most of your memories are based on emotions or physical senses. After that, that's when you can start uh, getting that, you know, that free recall memory where you can voluntarily go back and reach out your your your, your memories. So most most of the people's uh, development goes first in a few in a few years implicitly. So you don't really remember what happens. Most people don't. Although I think that, that that is really possible because I you know I don't really trust the, the medical literature you know they tend to obfuscate a lot of realities in in terms of our you know the way uh, the humanity works you know so we can uh, uh, follow the, the how do I say this the 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 orders of the doctors or whatever you know they they tell us that our bodies work in a certain way we think in a certain way. And they really uh, obfuscate a lot of information, so we can have to go back to the doctor, you know, to get a cure or whatever. But uh, from what I understand, that is, that's how it is. Now, I, I heard people, I got friends that remember, you know, they remember when they were, you know, slapped and they saw the the the, the operating room, you know, or the, you know, the, the like I, I just can't say it in, in English, uh, the... Surgeon? Uh, how does... You know, uh uh, the, the, the room where people give birth, I forget how, what, what it's called in English, sorry. Oh, maternity ward or? Yeah, that's right. You know, I have some friends, I say they don't remember seeing the maternity ward and getting picked up. So, you know, basically, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I know about that. And what I know about my, what my friends said, uh, about them, uh, being, you know, grown up. But most of them don't really recall any of that traumatic uh, experience. Maybe that's part of the implicit part. You know, you get it emotionally. And that then that goes up and develops in your subconscious up till you get older. And that tends to get into and affect you when you're developing, you know, into adulthood. They don't remember having part of their penis sliced off? I don't remember that. Uh, no, I know I, what happened. I know, I know, I, I was circumcised too, but I don't remember that happening either. But uh, obviously, that in some way must affect your subconscious because, you know, again, going to what they say, they say that it's implicit. So emotionally, you know, you you are gonna feel you're gonna feel the pain, the the horror, or whatever. So yeah, that does get into your subconscious. Oh yeah, I would think it would have to. It's gonna it's gonna affect you. It's like uh. Yeah, it's like taking a baby and, well, they say this too, like, I mean, this used to be, well, I think it's still used, like, oh, you know, something happened to him, he got dropped on his head when he was a baby or something like that. So, so it's understood that, you know, if you could damage a baby, then they'll be damaged the rest of their life, you know, oh, they must have got dropped on their head, you know, or something like that. But, no, it's like, uh, <laughs> what's the, I mean, you're not getting dropped on your head, but you're getting your genitalia mutilated, that's that can affect yeah. you too, you know, or having, uh, well, like I said, that, that, that electrode corkscrewed into your fucking head. That's, that's no good. Uh, yeah, I never heard that before. You know, that's pretty incredible. Uh, can you point a link to that, uh, news story? Uh, yeah, let me, uh, put it into the, uh, chat. It's pretty kind of gruesome yeah. looking. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, uh, but I, I, 
I didn't just look at this blog. I mean, I recommend if somebody's interested, they could look at other stuff too. But I mean, you can go to the company website that makes these damn things. It's got the instructions on there on how to, yeah, screw it into the baby's head, reach up in there in the birth canal there and just screw, screw it right on in. It's like a, yeah, it's like a corkscrew thing type, but it's not, it's not long like that, but it's like a short, as I goes, I guess it goes into the scalp. And then there's yeah. also pictures on the internet too, where you see lesions on baby's head. So I guess like it can get jerked out or it can get pulled out and just rips a little hole in their scalp. You know, that's, that's not, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, well, that is crazy to me. I mean, like you're talking about like an infant or, or just, yeah, the tiniest little helpless human being. And it's just like, uh, just total disregard for, <laughs> I mean, they, they wouldn't do that to you. Well, I guess they would, but, I'm just saying, like, just screw something into your into your head without I, that. I don't. They didn't say anything about anesthetic. If you go look up the procedures on the uh, company website that makes it, so they don't. Yeah, they don't give the baby anesthetic. They just they wouldn't do that to you now. Would they? You want to go to the doctor and they corkscrew something into your scalp without giving you an anesthetic or anything? They probably wouldn't do that. They yeah, they do it to a baby. It's like yeah, uh, but remember, as Wesley said, and. Uh, purpose of UNESCO that eventually what was uh, not acceptable before eventually will be acceptable. So it's all part of the process, you know, conditioning process, especially for people that are trained professionally in medicine. They're eventually going to accept that. And, you know, from if you look back at all the things that were being done before up to now, it's even more crazy because, you know, before you didn't get vaccines and eventually you got more and more vaccines like we were talking earlier. Now, I think I heard of some proposals of getting out, like 20 vaccines or more. Not only that, giving you vaccines while you're an adult, too. So uh, as uh, the conditioning, the propaganda machine that keeps turning on new, quote-unquote, professionals, so eventually when you broke, break down the moral barriers of society, eventually that will be accepted. That's why that's a very scary proposition. Yeah, it's uh, effective, I think, really, really effective if you look at uh, the world around us and, and how, how you know, people will just fall into the most absurd non-logic, you know, when it comes to dealing with so-called authority figures and stuff, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I, I think the, uh, just the school conditioning and stuff only goes so far to explain it. Yeah, I think the I, I think the birth trauma thing may be a maybe a missing piece of the puzzle there to kind of have more a better explanation of just why it is that people are just so damn compliant. You know, like they yeah. recognize authorities and they just you know they just do not question it. Period. You know, and they could just engage in the most absurd shit and not question it. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, because it's a, it's a, it's a system. And now, as you pointed out in that article, not only do they want to get control, you know, after birth of the individual, they want to get them in utero. You know, they want to control them inside the utero. Eventually, you, you know, like uh, in Brave New World, uh, Huxley's book, uh, people are, if I'm not mistaken, they are not born 
with mothers, you know, they're, they're not in neural, they're in tubes, you know, they're born in tubes. Right. So eventually the, mo- the mother is going to be completely eliminated out of the equation. So even that interaction, because the people have found that the mother's emotion tra- transmits to the, to, the, to the baby and helps in development, you know, whatever the mother thinks or feels, that eventually somehow gets into the, the, the baby and helps to develop it. But now it's going to be totally artificial. And even now with, with, you know, the CRISPR technology and all the gene editing stuff that's coming out, you know, even that, even that goes even going to a deeper rabbit hole, you know, because basically you're talking about creating non-human humans, really, because if you eliminate the mother, you know, that, that to me, uh, signifies, you know, that, that person isn't really fully human, you know, because it was separated from something that was essential for its development. Well, yeah, I and mean, you can see how this um, third wave feminism and all that is is leading to that because, you know, it, 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 people have already been conditioned with the idea that in order, you know, like there's this um, inequality among the sexes, you know, like uh, that, that, that this, mm-hmm. you know, the male is, you know, we live in a so-called patriarchal society and then women are regulated to second class citizen status. And then it, but in order to be yeah. equal with men, they have to get into the workforce. They have to work, they have to hold down a job. They have to have careers. They have to get educated. They have to expend. So, you know, spend time on everything except for, you know, nurturing and raising a child. And then, you know, both they've already succeeded in like having both parents out of the child's life for the majority of their waking life. So you get raised now. You're raised by institutions. So that's it's, it's to the point now where you know you're you're living with this, this situation for an extended period of time, you know, decades, and then you know it, it starts. You know, the reality of it starts to sink in to where like women are saying, "Well, why do I even need a guy? Because I'm I have to raise. You know, I have to have a career and I have to do this. I have to take care of myself anyway. So I don't." I don't really need a man in my life. I could, you know, sleep around and do whatever and, uh, you know, go to clubs, have sex whenever I want. I don't have to have a guy, you know, and then like, uh, you know, the state raises a kid. So I don't have to really worry too much about that. It's kind of a hassle taking care of that, all that by, you know, myself. But still, I don't need I don't need a man. And there, you know, so you're seeing less and less people get married. You're seeing, you know, more and more of this. um breakdown of the family where people aren't even getting married, not even like some people aren't even having kids, but you know, a lot of people, you know, they have, have kids and, uh, you know, turn them over to the state to raise. So that's already going on. So then, you know, naturally the next phase would be like, well, why, you know, have to take time off work and my, my career to get pregnant and have a child, you know, it's like, well, you know what, we've been thinking about the same thing too. Why don't you, you know, get a, you know, hire out one of these artificial looms and have a, have a baby like that. It's a lot, a lot easier than going through all the, and plus, you know, they, they really uh, hammer on the dangers of natural childbirth. You know, it's like this, you know, because that's all this stuff they do in the medical uh, industry is all in response to this, this, uh, you know, ages of fear mongering they've, they've uh, attached to, childbirth so like yeah. women are scared to death to have a child and it's like well yeah you stop to think that obviously women have done this is the beginning of time since the beginning of humanity women have been having babies 
It's like, you didn't have all this shit. You didn't have all these hospitals. You didn't have all this, these drugs and all this shit. And people got by just fine. How did that happen? Like, nobody thinks that way, though. They say, well, like, this is all necessary. You know, like, none of it's necessary. None of this hospital shit is necessary. But it's like, um, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, then, yeah, we're going to have artificial wombs is the, because uh, these doctors will even say that. I mean, I got some articles, stuff that quote these uh, doctors saying, yeah, well, that's the ultimate goal is just to have the artificial wombs and have the, have it all taken care of in a lab, you know? Yeah. And that has to do with uh, the elimination of uh, the development of the individual, you know, because, you know, the 12 years in school, uh, and then you go up to college. That all is scientifically, uh, you know, that's all scientifically determined now. You know, because people are taught to go to authority figures like you were talking about earlier and not really taking responsibility of their own actions or their own way of, you know, not creating their own lives anymore. You know, you got to go to people in a lab coach or the doctors or whatever to uh, take care of you. You know, and before people, you know, they used to have babies fine. You know, think about it, you know, from since when did the, you know, beginning of humanity, we've been taking care of ourselves pretty, pretty well before even the doctors came. But now people are, you know, having birth, uh, complications at birth in the hospitals, you know, babies dying of infections, uh, of, of iatrogenesis, which uh, I believe is a, a medically caused death, you know, so... That really has a the, the the rendition of one's own determination to authority figures has a big part in what we're having uh, what's happening today, you know. Because I remember when I was uh, a child, when I was growing up, you know, and this goes to everybody when you're in the system, you know, when you start out, you start out with a stranger, total stranger, was the teacher, mm-hmm. you know, your mom drives over, she drops you off the car, you get your backpack, your lunchbox, and then you go out to the middle of the playing field, you know, the playground or whatever, and you're completely scared, you know, you know, that's what, that's how I felt because I didn't know anybody. You know, I didn't absolutely didn't know anybody. You know, the only people I, I was comf- uh, comfortable with were my own parents. And uh, the few friends I had over here uh, where I grew up in the street, in the neighborhood. And, you know, you go in there, surrounded by strangers. And then you go into the classroom. You're, you know, you're, you got these big people. You know, because you're a little guy, you got these big, big, strong people. And they tell you, go over there, sit down. You know, because if you disobey, you know, they tell you, they're going to get into trouble. You know, you know, these big people, these giants, you know, you're scared of them. And then you start taking on on the class to tell you what to do, what to say, what you know, how to think, you know, little by little. Eventually, you start getting really tired of the routine. You know, your mind starts getting exhausted. Then, eventually, you start to uh, learn. You know, y- your mind starts to uh, uh, t- try to resist at first. You know, you want to resist what's happening around you. That uh, the situation you're at that you've been put on, uh, you've been put on, you know, you think about your parents, you know, I was always sick, uh, the first years, I was really wanted to hang out with my parents and want to be with them. Eventually, through repetition of the daily routine, your mind gets tired, you, know, you get tired, you get tired of the same routine, you know, when the bell, 
get into a file, march into class in the classroom, you know, very regimented. Eventually, in order to escape that stressful situation in your mind, because you can't really express it verbally or, or any other way because you get punished, you, you learn that on the on, you know, on the onset of it. Eventually, you, you, you say, hey, you know, this person, this uh, giant that's in front of me, it's giving me the key out, but it's really not a uh, key to freedom. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a false sense of, uh, of safety, uh, you know, so, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you accept what's happening uh, around you, and then you say, hey, you know, instead of questioning, you know, what the materials you're giving me, you know, the, asking questions, you know, the easy way out is just to, you know, get uh, accept this arbiter of truth get the answers from her, and that way I can fill in the exam, you know, whatever. And, that, and then she tells you, hey, you're doing good. So that reinforces that action. And you start feeling more, you know, you get more, you, you get a set, a set that situation even more so, you know, because the, yeah. the pressure yeah. is, I mean, it's escaped from you, you know, the, the pressure is not on you anymore since you're being more, you know, you're obeying more, you know, you're accepting more what the system is trying to uh, enforce upon you. Yeah, that's some that good insight there. It's like years it's, and years. It's yeah, like yeah. setting the tone for what is going to be normal in life, and then you you know this regimentation is uh, is is presented to you as normalcy, you know, and then you you learn yeah. to adapt. Yeah, and that's what you just described is like part of that process where you start to you learn to adapt to that, and because it's absolutely bizarre and strange. You know, when you first get exposed to it, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a big adjustment. And then a lot, a lot of children, they like, don't like school. They cry when they have to go. I was like, I don't want to go. Yeah. Like little children, you know, they go to, they start them off young now. And another thing too, it's that you, you know, so you go to grade school and, it, and it's kind of done a certain, everything's kind of done a certain way. You know, you stay in the same classroom pretty much the whole day. And you go to recess and you have this routine and this pattern that you follow every yeah. day for until you get to like uh, sixth grade. And then you go to so-called junior high. Well, now I heard this. Uh, my sister is telling me like uh, her, her boy started junior high in sixth grade. So he's and so instead of sixth grade being sixth grade, sixth grade is now junior high. So he goes to the junior high school. And goes to the junior high yeah. procedure. With that, that's like where you have every every hour you change classes and all that stuff, and you got your locker, and you got to go get your crap out of your locker and get your books and go to the next class. Well, that's that's like a another traumatic adjustment, you know that that whole thing where it's like you, you're you're trying to beat the clock, you're trying to beat the bell, you go get the you go run out of class, you go get your shit, you go to the other class, and. Uh, yeah, that's that's. But see, now they're starting to do that earlier, and giving that to sixth graders to contend with instead when you didn't have to really deal with that until seventh grade before. So I said, and then well, I was thinking about it. I said, yeah, that's part of the conditioning they want to step because there is. It's always about incrementally stepping up, stepping things up. You know, over the years, you know, it's going to be uh, greater, greater regimentation. They start children in school earlier than ever. They got. Pre-K now, it's like little little bitty kids are going to school, getting on the bus, yeah. going all the going away from their parents. Well, they're young. 
yeah, really little, like just, you know, barely learned to walk. There you go to school. Get, get to learn to walk so you can go down there to the bus stop, get on the bus, get you out of the house here and like, take a break. You know, like, let's say people now, you know, they don't even raise their kids for four years now. It's like, just you know, fourth year, fifth year. It's like, ah, not in school for you. Um, no, yeah, because they learn to give their children up to the state. They give, they learn to give their children up to strangers because that's what they've been taught. And there's in, in the system, you know, because you know, this goes back a way a long time ago. So people are conditioned to, you know, after they get their conditioning, you know, hey, I went through this conditioning, so my son or my daughter has to go through that conditioning yeah. because that's I what I did. It you got to do it. Yeah. Hey, I did it. You got to do it. It's like, I don't want to. It's like, suck it up. I did it. You got to do it. Everybody's got to do it. It's normal. Yeah. And it's like fucking crazy. It's like, no, it's insane. But, you know, everybody's done it, and that's the way we've always done it. And you're going to do it, too. And then if you cry and don't like it, then you're the problem. See? But, see, now they got... See, so we got another solution for that, which is uh, this psychotropic drugs. We can put them on, you know? They can't uh, yeah. adapt. <laughs> so... And I heard, I heard of, there was an article written by John Rappaport that there was a group of psychiatrists that are starting to drug kids out for, you know, because of social justice, because these kids are poor. They're not going to be able to compete with higher IQ kids, quote unquote. And, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to fail. So you need to drug them. You know, you got to have an even playing field, you know, and that even playing field is a, a bunch of kids that are drugged in these uh, speed-like drugs. <laughs> oh, you got to drug them to bring them up to level, or you got to yeah. Gotta, okay, so you got to give them like some a little booster. Yeah, so like so a, there's equality, so, so that there's equality in the classroom. You know, ah, equality, yeah. equality in the way the the kids' minds work. So you got to drug them all. <laughs> well, you would think yeah, they would do it the other way around. Oh yeah, maybe they could do it the other way around and. Dumb down, the smart ones. down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they will if the other approach doesn't work. Or, uh, Hi, Richard. Right? I was, I was, I was going to say, uh, going back a couple minutes anyway, like back to the um, children, uh, you know, being born and, and, and the trauma and everything. Uh, another interesting point from what I've found um, from reading for preparing to have a child uh the, with the drugs that induce labor and and all the trauma going on, those babies mm. are a lot more likely not to be able to nurse. Like that, they'll be drugged up, or the mother will be drugged up. But it it, 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 it really interferes with that whole process of getting the nursing started, which yeah. is of course real convenient, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you can put them on formula, and then. Right. You give them this denatured formula that doesn't have the uh, the proper nutrition, and then the brain doesn't develop properly, and and all of that yeah. too. So that helps. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then you get these uh, gallons of water with fluoride. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's too. Yeah, get them on the baby. Yeah, the baby water real quick with all the extra fluoride. Yeah, get them started off right. When I when I saw that, you know, when I learned about fluoride and I saw the uh, the baby products, you know, with the drink, baby drinking water with fluoride, I was shocked. You know, I didn't know that was happening. You know, yeah. 
Yeah, that's pretty crazy stuff. Extra fluoride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, that's something that's uh, been prepared by the elite, you know, for a long time. You know, they, you know the, 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 the years, you know, like uh, Wilhelm Wundt, you know, and I got a book here. It's uh, The Leipzig Connection by pa uh, Paolo Leone. And uh, this is a really good book about the educational system. And here's a quote. Wundt's basic approach was to gather data concerning physiological responses in order to clarify how the individual experienced feelings and sensations. He was convinced that perceptions and experiences could be understood through measurable physiological reactions. One noticed that reactions began with stimulation, followed by one perception, in which the experience exists within the individual, two apperception, apperception, sorry, <laughs> in which the body, or so he thought, identifies the stimulus and combines with other stimuli, and three, an act of will which results in four, a reaction to the stimulus. What was will? For Wundt, will was the direct result of the combination of perceived stimuli, not an independent individual intention, as psychology and philosophy had with some notable exceptions held up to that time. Now, all, that proves, yeah. all that proves is that you can destroy a human mind. Yeah, that's, just, that's like a recipe for destroying human individuality and creativity. All right, so what? So you've you demonstrated empirically that it's possible to do that. I suppose, by extension, they say, well, maybe we can morph it into something that accommodates us, or maybe we can engineer it, but... At yeah, some that's point. the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose. Uh, I, what I do was that uh, from again? Because I'll write that down. That was uh, from the book uh, Basics in Education, uh, The Leipzig Connection. The Leipzig Connection, L-E-I-P-Z-I-G Connection by Paolo Leone. P-A-O-L-O-L-I-O-N-I-L. L-I-O-N-N-I, sorry. Okay. And uh, this is a pretty good book. It, it actually has connections to Illuminati figures, if you, if you believe that. Leipzig, being a city in the east of Germany, it would have been in the old GDR, and it has a lot of cultural, you know, very, very rich cultural, uh, cultural associated music and art and everything, Leipzig. Uh, but uh, is that associated with the... In any way, with the uh, German developments of uh, ed educa German education, because I always had the impression that John yeah. Dewey and and that crew oh, basically yeah, from the Frankfurt School, from Leipzig, oh, from all these right. German schools, yeah. was where Dewey and all these uh, you know people that developed the modern education system, especially for America, <laughs> that's where they got the ideas from. And these people, the like Wilhelm Wundt and other people that are quoted here in this book, they had associations with people that, you know, because the Illuminati, the you know, the Bavarian Illuminati that were, you know, in the universities all over. And Wundt and other people here in this book, they got training or philosophical uh, ideas from these people before. I should, in that connection, reference uh, the role of uh, Prussia, Prussian medicine and Prussian state 
medical science. I think the Germans may have been among the first to, to do the mass vaccinations and so forth. But um, that that Johns Hopkins, wealthy, you know, a fortune in business, uh, shipping. I don't know what he what what he made his money, and I, I can't even remember. I think a lot of it was a slave trade, to tell you the truth. But huge endowment and founded all these the Johns Hopkins University and the Johns Hopkins hospitals and just all over the place. But uh, spent some time in Germany and was so impressed with the measures that the German state and their education system and especially their their community, their public health. Indeed, the term public health is an English translation of a German phrase that Johns Hopkins brought back here in the 1880s and 1890s when he established the first school of public health in the United States, up the road from me in Baltimore, the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health and Hygiene. Almost, uh, well, the university, I guess, was a little older, but not that much. So actually, he may have made his fortune during the Civil War. I have to check that out. But um, that same school, and it was the first in the country, and then from there it became a model for establishing so-called public health institutions around the country. And these were all, all, as Johns Hopkins proudly proclaimed, uh, along the Prussian model. He was a big admirer of of, uh, Frederick the Great and the, the Prussian tradition of State direct state intervention and in public health and so yeah. forth. So that notion, public health, whatever it means now, whatever it has come to mean. Now we all, we all thought it meant ant- like like quarantine and anti like sanitation, anti plague. You know, reasonable reasonable measures undertaken to prevent, say, the spread of contagion or you know sanitation. So stuff like that. We never imputed to it evil intention, although these these were the places from which vaccination, inoculation, and so forth, mandatory vaccination proceeded. There's, there's no doubt about that. I should, by the way, parenthetically, this great institution, the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health and Hygiene, is no longer exists because it was, well, it exists, but it's been renamed. Guess 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 what the name of it is now? I want to run this by Chris. Just I'm going to just a wild, wild guess what this 100-year-old venerable institution was renamed to. Rockefeller. Close. You're getting close. You're in the neighborhood. You're absolutely in that neighborhood, in that Manhattan neighborhood. It's called the Bloomberg School now. Bloomberg. Since about yes, yeah, since the Bloomberg, it is no longer the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health and Hygiene, which is um, stunning to me because. <coughs> If you looked at a historical map of Baltimore, of Mar- like you know, Maryland, the state of Maryland and the city of Baltimore and Annapolis and Frederick used to produce tourist maps because Maryland had a tourist trade. You know, it's, Maryland's like, a, it's almost like there's a little bit of everything in the United States here, a lot of the East Coast here in Maryland. There's rolling hills, there's uh, some, a little bit of open field, there's... You know, there's a lot of different kinds of topography, and so, and so it's, a, it's always been that kind of touristy place. But on these maps, they would point to the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health and Hygiene as almost a, uh, you know, it was listed as a historic site to visit. And, of course, there was a Johns Hopkins Hospital, Johns Hopkins University. Well, now it's called the Bloomberg School, and he bought it, he bought, I guess he bought it back in 90-something. 
I'm pretty sure it was in the early 90s. I have to go check on that. But it was stunning to me to hear that because I thought to myself, well, what's next? Why not just rename the university uh, Bloomberg University? You understand? It, it, was, it would have been about, a, about the same significance. And that tells you that that's important to understand culturally, okay? Maybe not scientifically, but culturally, because it tells you how cheap. I, I'll, li- I'll liken it to something that maybe everybody can relate to. Because a lot of people saw the movie Gladiator, and, and that's unfortunate because there was a much, much better film made about the same subject called The Fall of Rome that starred uh, Sophia Loren and Stephen Boyd, a lot of great, great actors, and, and, it's, and, a, and a fantastic film. It was made the same year that Ben-Hur was made. I don't think I need to say much about Ben-Hur to even uh, – you, you folks, right? You all, you've all seen it, right? With the chariot race and all that? Yeah, yeah wasn't it about the so-called uh, Spartan Rebellion or something like that? Right, well, yeah, what, uh, no, that's Spartacus you're thinking of. That, that, yeah, that, was, that was like maybe a year or two later, right? We're talking 1958-59. Yeah, the year the Baltimore Colts, both years the Baltimore Colts beat the, beat, beat the New York Giants. It was a big deal. But anyway, um, uh, this, this, the, in the fall of Rome... It, 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 it shows, it, and here I'm going to get in an argument with Chris over what, how much of this narrative is made up and how much of it is real history. <laughs> We're going to get into the whole thing about was there really an ancient Rome and, you know, did it decline and fall the way Gibbon tells us it did and, and how, do, how do we interpret that narrative? But this is about the death of Marcus Aurelius and the chaos, because we are told that Rome lived through this period of unprecedented, unparalleled, Peace and prosperity uh, from about 70, from, from the suppression of the, uh, you know, from the civil war, the, the suppression of the revolt in Judea and, and the civil war of about 70 AD, all the way up to about 200 under what were called the five good emperors. And these included the Flavians, mostly, or Flavians, as they should be called, and, and then uh, un- un- uh, then the Trajan, and then Hadrian, and then Tanius Pius, and then the great Marcus Aurelius. And in school, in school you used to read the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. I'm wondering if uh, if our Latin friend there might be familiar with what I'm talking about. About Rome, you know, how we used to, how in school we used to get a lot more about Rome, didn't we? I, but did it yeah, keep, I don't know where it's at now, but... Well, did they teach about uh, Rome at all? Did they teach? Did they teach Rome, were the Roman the classics of at least in English? You know, do you get to read? You know, I, I mean, any of Virgil's Aeneid, or I mean, do, is there anything from from what's left of the memory of Roman literature that's taught in schools? Maybe I'm I'm totally on another planet. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question. Uh, when was the last time you, you know to the college and to Chris? When when was the year that you guys graduated? I graduated in 87. 2001. And for the lady here? I graduated from high school in 1969. Okay, so you got a 60s, 80s, uh, 2000s. I graduated from my high school in 2009, and I got to tell you, we... 
barely even touched anything relating to uh, pre, you know... Oh, hold on, my friend. It's really bugging me, my friend. Let me tell you why this bugs me, my friend. You are a Latin. And this is the history of the Western... Latin is the history of Western civilization, which is to say Spain, for example... That was Spain and Gaul. These are like the they're they're like the heartlands of the Roman Empire, the most civilized place in the Mediterranean world for like eight hundred for a thousand years and longer. But you're telling me that in your school they really didn't pay this much mind and they didn't consider it important. They were going to deny you that assertion of your cultural identity and your traditions, no, your language. They, 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 they did deny it. <laughs> I think I got a lot of background noise on your line there. It ain't my, it ain't it ain't mine, so I don't know where it's coming from. Not not mine either. That, that might be me. I got headphones and I'll I'll take the headphones off. My bad. Okay, thank you. Yeah, sounds like at uh maybe at a. Interesting noises there. Is that what the inner ear sounds like? Put it back on for a second. Would you mind? I'm sorry. Is that what the inner ear sounds like? Uh, I, have you ever listened to a conscious show? I'm sorry, guys. I, I didn't mean to be tripping out on you tonight. It is it is Friday night. I mean, Monday night. <laughs> what a sonogram sounds like inside the womb. Yeah, right. The sonogram. That's what it was like. Right. It's like you get a stethoscope and put it up. The... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I'm getting uh, re-traumatized from my birth. I'm realizing that all these things that were like so critical to me defining my view of the world, how I thought about things, they're now irrelevant. They're gone. They don't matter. Yeah, it's all being phased out. Like, uh, well, see, uh, that's how... And I've talked about this before. How in 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 this this particular system we got going here, this 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 great system is that you, as you're you're introduced to things, new concepts, or like you know when like school as we know it hasn't always been around, and then you can go get those old tests from you know the uh, what early 1900s or whatever, or even go back even a little bit further, and then you can look at what uh, like eighth graders. Uh, had to test on, and then they had to write things out in essay form and stuff like that. And they said, "Well, most college graduates couldn't uh, pass those tests. I mean, they they didn't have they they don't have the yeah, intellectual yeah. capacity to pass an eighth grader test, you know, from a hundred hundred years ago or whatever. But you know, when it initially started out, it was like, yeah, we actually were teaching. Uh, you know, you'd come you come out of there with an actual education, some knowledge, and then you know, as things have progressed, it gets it gets gradually uh, worse and worse until what you got today, where you got grad people can graduate high school and not even be functionally literate. So that, but oh, yeah. that's like everything in our system is like that. You know, it's like the uh, AT and T just comes off the top of my head, like the phone company. It's like, yeah, it starts out. It's like, hey, you can make phone calls. It's great, and blah blah blah. And as the as the corporation progresses and do its uh, different phases, it gets it got to the point where it's like people hate hated AT and T. It was kind of the most maligned company 
it, to exist for people. You know, the, the, the service sucked. The customer service was I, non-existent. I worked, yeah. I worked for Bell Atlantic for seven years. I worked for one of the companies. <laughs> this is really weird. But I got a really plush, I mean, for those days, a very well-paying job, a job that enabled me to buy a house, a small house, but at least get my foot in the door to owning a home. In, in in the mid 1980s. So you know what I'm talking about then. It's like the the way that uh, everything just, just degrades over over time. But when you're and introduced you, to it, it's it's it works fine. It's great. It's not it's not a lot of. Uh, by the way, do do we need to review Judge Harold Green and the breakup of of Ma Bell for for anybody here? That that's mid Reagan era. That's uh, talk about scam of the century. They spun off. I mean, here you had a public utility. It was highly regulated, but it was very stable. It guaranteed a rate of return to all its investors who were mostly like maybe you know, little old ladies with bonds or whatever. You know, it was not, it, it, it had a steady profit for the investors, steady growth, whatever. But it guaranteed the whole, the, the motto of Ma Bell, AT&T, was universal service. You could be dirt poor in America, but you had a freaking telephone. Mm-hmm. That was the idea. Everybody could afford that to make, in general, basic local service affordable. Now I remember, I remember what a night, you know, what a luxury long distance was considered in those days. I'm old enough to remember that, and, and that seemed kind of. Now, somebody living who never experienced that wouldn't know what the hell we were talking about if we said, well, you had to pay extra for long distance. <laughs> connections and all that mm. you know but now they'd laugh at that but the the deal was the ethic behind it the value behind it was everybody gets it it's i don't care how poor you are you if you didn't have a telephone you were really a peasant mm-hmm. in, in 20th century america you weren't connected to anybody everybody should be able to afford it and, and you could typically afford it it was maybe ten or fifteen bucks a month. It didn't cost that much. It was very affordable. Well, now the government's giving out cell phones if you're on uh, food stamps, so phones yeah. are basically free. Yeah, you're right. That's you know something you just see. That's it. Thanks for for cutting that off at the pass because you're right. That's where we're headed anyway. We're headed to a total. Who cares? Why charge anybody for it? It's a way for them to control and track people. Why would they? They ought to be paying you to, to, to carry one of the, those things, right? You ought to be paying. You ought to be get, getting paid a carrying charge for carrying around that thing. It's probably toxic. It's probably emitting a Wi-Fi wave that's fucking with your brain cells. Who knows? They got to make sure everyone's chipped. Well, that's absurd. Yeah. That's absurd. How well, you see, the, there's a there's a film called The President's Analyst, and it came out in yeah. the '60s. And yeah. they go into that, and it's supposed, it's supposed to be like a comedy, kind of a spy film, kind of genre, where you know this, this guy's a this guy's a spy. He's kind of worked, you know, and then it kind of it it, it reveal. There's some reveal, interesting reveals in this film, but one of the one of the scenes, he goes into the underground laboratory of the and the phone company runs everything, and that's the that's the kind of part of the plot line of the film. And they then the guy he's talking to just goes into this like sales pitch for this uh, this device that 
you're going to, in the future, you're going to like swallow it and it's going to lodge itself into your cerebral cortex and it's going to connect you right into the phone company. And it was great. Yeah. It's like, so it's like the talking about the implantable brain chip that's going to communicate. Yeah. Pipe you right in and you'll have like a number assigned to you at birth and that'll be your phone number for life. And yeah, he's just talking and it's kind of delivered in like sort of a comedic kind of, cartoonish way and he's showing he's showing this slide this presentation on the on this big screen on the wall looks like a flat screen television and this is 1968 or something when this when this film came out uh or maybe early 70s i'm not sure exactly but some somewhere around there it's called the president's analyst yeah it's not a spy movie the the president is about the i think charles coburn trying to think of the actor's name yeah, yeah and he was, he was a psychiatrist to the president, and then so he gets he gets hired to be the 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 president shrink so that you know because he's you know some shit hot psychiatrist and stuff so he's like oh we need you to help the president out it's not a problem so then he goes through all this all this shit but uh it's it, it's got a lot of stuff in that film too it's talking about yeah you know, like spies and he running he's got these people tracking him and following him and this is in. It, it just it, some really interesting stuff in there, but it's like so, talking about that the Russians, you know, are working with the uh, American intelligence agencies and all that stuff, you know, directly working with them, and so it's kind of a, in an offhanded way exposing the whole Cold War fraud and all that. It's 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 pretty interesting. It's, it's yeah, it's supposed to be a comedy. It's a pretty crazy movie. That's what is that holding on? I'm going to watch it later. That's yeah, yeah, the other one. In, the other one is uh, that. Yeah. By the way, as long as you're putting that in the chat, well, anyone, any of the ones made by uh, uh, starring James Coburn, is another one that was made earlier called uh, In Like Flint, which is the yeah, that's another one too. Yeah, the secret agent stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, he made a, a number of interesting satire. I would call those satirical films, comedies, satirical satire comedies, satires really. Biting, very biting satires, I thought, for the turret. You know, but uh, it's funny because you... you, I I just flashed on another film I saw, but now it's up in the 90s, I guess, uh, 80s, or maybe from the 80s, where... uh, I think it's called Dreamscape, where... um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I never. Yeah, the, somebody brought that up, said to watch it, and I, I never got around to. I, I couldn't oh, find it. Oh, it's a very good, it, excellent film uh, with uh, Dennis Quaid. Eddie Albert plays the president. I always like watching him. I think he's a real good actor. Um, Eddie Albert plays the president who's having nightmares because he's terrified of the possibility that he's going to incompetently or accidentally trigger a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. So I guess the Cold War would still have been going on then. So this film was made before 1989. It would have been made in the 80s. And uh, he's, he's having nightmares that are incapacitating him about a nuclear, and at the same time he's, he's under pressure and he's negotiating with the Soviets, uh, you know, a, a test ban treaty. But here he's having these nightmares. Meanwhile, there's this CIA-run experimental lab that's uh, is supposedly trying to work on a solution to his problem, but really the thing has been hijacked by this villain, brilliantly played by uh, Christopher Plummer. 
trying to think. Of, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, and then there's this, this psychopath kid in it. Oh, what it is is it's a school where they have these kids that have this gift of being able to get into other people's dreams. <laughs> when they go to sleep, they go to sleep in the same room as somebody or near enough to somebody else, within a certain distance of somebody else, they can get into their dreams and and manipulate their dreams. So the the psychopath kid, you know, that that in itself is an interesting subplot. And the the protagonist played by Dennis Quaid also has this capability, but he's into like going to uh I guess he could kind of going uh, gambling, going to gambling casinos and racetracks and, you know, gambling and partying, you know, and having a good time. But he's stuck in this sort of school, this special school that the CIA is running. And they're basically both being manipulated. They're both being used. But I don't want to give the the plot away because it is an excellent film. What's that called again? Dreamscape? Yeah, it says it came out in 1984. Right, so that Cold War would still have been going on strong, man. Yeah, that's mid Reagan era, but excellent film. I still think a very good film. Now that's a different take on it, I suppose, on the idea of uh, mind, mind control, and so forth, as, as a vehicle for political administration. Um, we're, we were getting to a point about carrying these. Yeah, about communication in general on the hive mind and these, you know, the, the giveaway cell phones and stuff that when you look at the development of telecommunications and, and to me, it's like I look at the breakup of Ma Bell and a, a, you were talking about AT&T originally, I guess, that AT&T was a, sort of uh, this uh, Ma Bell. It was a publicly regulated utility. Everybody got a little bit of service. It was, you know, it was kind of, you know, it was real mellow. And then all of a sudden they decided – they got this judge to say, no, no, we're going to break it up because of the alleged reasons where the AT&T wanted to go into the computer business, but as a regulated monopoly, they weren't allowed to do that. So they had to be and, – and also supposedly IBM and others didn't want to compete against it. That's what we were told. That's what we were told. Mm. But the, public's, the public really got, got it and got it good from the breakup of AT&T because all, it justified – all of a sudden you had all this confusion. Well, initially, they broke it up into six baby bells. One of those six baby bells which was called Bell Atlantic, and that landed me a very, very well-paying job, I have to say, for that period, 1984. Basically, uh, converting the old AT&T database to this new database. They're basically doing database conversion for these people. Spent seven years working on that stuff, and also I had to be up at night. I also worked on their billing system. I basically prepared your telephone bill, which meant I had to be. I could be. They could page me at three or four in the morning if the. And let me tell you, once the billing system ran, we ran all of telephone billing for Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, and Washington D.C. Well, I think somebody uh, in the chat. I think maybe it was Frank was asked me like, "Who is this day that you're talking about?" Well. I think uh, Lynn just alluded to them. They, they, the TPC, the phone company, them. Oh, right. Yeah, the phone right. company. That just doesn't have any. Well, now it's just called Verizon. It's the same thing, guys. It's the same freaking thing, you know. It's just well, called Verizon. Well, no, it's like they take and they do these breakups of these companies, but they're still the same. It's all the well, same infrastructure me. and everything. It's just. You it's tell just... me, is there. 
can you name, okay, so what do you got? You got Comcast, maybe you got Sprint, you got T-Mobile. But no, Verizon is pretty much, if, if you're going to have cable TV, it's pretty much, Fios, it's pretty much Verizon, isn't it? Is there anybody else? That, in my neck of the woods here on the East Coast, that's all there is pretty much is Verizon. I mean, you can get other stuff. But Verizon, I, I feel like they, they're everywhere. They dom- If you don't see Verizon, it's Comcast. Uh, is it any less a monopoly now than it was? They, I, I want to once and for all stick a fork, drive a stake through the stupid fucking heart of this myth of the free market. Is there any more <coughs> competition or free market now than there was then before they ran down that scam, that, that dirty, corrupt judge, Harold Green, his name was. But I got to thank you, Judge Green, because, you know, I got a seven-year uh, cushy job. And, and then I went on to other things. I got tired of it and moved on, but it was great while I was there. So uh, a lot of people cashed in on that. But I saw it. We all saw it. We all saw it. My generation, that's what I should have opened up with, an apology for my generation. Every time oh, I yeah. face it, you should yeah, remind you need to apologize, Lynn. I've been trying to get around I that. I absolutely do, that. do. Every time you get me on a horn here, you should remind me. You, know, you just kind of grab the back of my collar, get a nice uh, sort of, I've been, I've been studying yeah. chokes lately. Over how did we get to the point we're at if it wasn't for Lynn's generation? you got, I, I have to totally always fucking say everything up. My generation, they are completely to blame for this shit because they saw it happening. Like, Mm -hmm. everybody knew it was mobbed up. They knew it was corrupt. They knew it was dirty. They knew it was racketeered. They knew that whole Reagan, that Reagan administration, Reagan Bush era was one big, look, remember the SNLs? Uh, You want me to go on about that? I could probably write a book about that or do a, who cares, really? Well, yeah, I I know it's a... The American people have the American people have rolled over. Yeah, and my and like I say, that's got to be chalk up to my generation. And what? Who were the so-called baby boomer presidents? Clinton and W. Did you vote for Reagan? Fuck no, hell no. (laughs) I got to tell you, Reagan was roundly hated here in Maryland. Uh, Maryland is it is true. It's a very um, liberal state. Except on the eastern shore and maybe in western Maryland and some parts of southern Maryland. On the eastern shore, certainly Reagan would have – you know, there, that's more like Tidewater, Virginia. Western Maryland, say west of Frederick toward Hagerstown and Cumberland, that's kind of rural. And then the southern Maryland, rural. Those people would be more conservative. But the Maryland central and northern Maryland, Baltimore and the but Baltimore D.C. Strip, all that is and, – and, and I, as evidence of that, shortly after Reagan was shot, and this would have been – my gosh, only a few months into his presidency, right? Uh, Reagan was shot very early in his presidency, or if he really was shot. I don't know <laughs> if he really was shot. I think he was, but I don't know. I don't even know. Well, he was an actor, yeah. right? I bet exactly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, right? I don't know. I, I wasn't there, but um, yeah. I... I Wait, but uh, you look at that footage now. We talked about this before, where he, he allegedly got shot. Well, we're into the whole John Hinckley now. We we could talk about John Hinckley for hours if you like. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's not necessary. I mean, that, he's 
He's obviously an insider and connected. And then, yeah, John Hinckley was uh, the son of uh, some congressman and stuff. And then, and then Bush Senior happened to be having dinner with him when Reagan was. Yeah, he was the chief. John Hinckley was the son, the son of the most important and powerful Republican in the state of Colorado, and the chairman of the Republican, uh, a couple of Republican organizations out there in Colorado. Their big fundraiser. He was having dinner. With Bush Senior, with old man Bush, the night before this event, is that is that? Am I given to under? Cause that's just stunning to to think that, right? I mean, isn't it? Wouldn't that make him a material witness? I guess it would. Wouldn't the father be a material witness? They certainly tried to uh, in, in, inculpate, not incriminate, but inculpate at it through sheer negligence. The therapist, the psychotherapist. The, the psych, the psychiatrist, whoever had uh, Hinckley on meds, they tried to. Didn't they try to kind of blame, put some blame on him for not reporting this or something like that? But here, the father is having dinner with Bush Senior the night before, and that's not a matter of intense curiosity in the media. <laughs> that shows you how mobbed up things are, and that's my defense of the people who you so unkindly. Judged for their having for their supine com, their supine compliant compliance is the word you use. They're compliant. Why they say you mean their supine compliance or slavishness? Because it is disgusting. I agree. No, you have to understand. There's a lot of money involved. There's jobs. There's livelihoods. Livelihoods and mortgages and and people think their families depend on this big uh, web of lies. They are convinced yeah. of that, and therefore they will pretend to believe in it eh, as much as is required of them. You know, they may in the in the waning days of the old Soviet bloc and the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, people openly express their contempt for things like the state-run media and news and all that, and they made fun of a lot of this, the formalisms of it, where they dared to. As, it's, as they, they could see that it became more and more transparent that these systems could not provide. They couldn't keep infrastructure. I don't know. They were failing. That's a whole other question. But um, and that is what we will – it's kind of weird because we, we're in an inverted – we're in a situation that's a little bit inverted from that, right? Because people are really emotionally committed to believing into the, in these official narratives. But everything I'm seeing out there – and I have been scanning a lot of stuff the last since uh, this whole fake news meme first showed up. Everyone seems to be saying, ah, God, I saw this over at the Daily Bell. I saw this at a lot of places. People are convinced that the mainstream media is going to get flushed and that those who are on the inside of this game, they know that that means that the mainstream media has to get flushed. Now, that's going to create a vacuum. Well, maybe it won't create a vacuum because now everybody's. What on do you their mean uh, get flushed? What are you talking about? I, they're going to be so utter, utterly discredited mm, that to the how extent so? institution, venerable institutions like the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN, they will continue to maintain flagships, you know, websites, and and may even have you know continuously running video or audio. Who knows? Or maybe mm. they'll just have symbolic presences, but one way or another, they're going to be rendered irrelevant because no one's going to be paying any attention to them other than to make fun of them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, it's, it. you know, you got to 
look at uh, what I mean. How long they've been around, and they're gonna they're gonna still be around. I mean, I don't I don't see them leaving the picture anytime soon. And then you yeah, have this so called alternative media, which is interesting. How this plays into this whole fake news narrative that's being constructed is that you have RT right, and so they they've been around for for a bit, and they're supposedly you know Russian television, you know pro you know re the fashioning of the whole Pravda, you know, state status propaganda media outlet out of Russia. And they have like people like Alex Jones on and, and alt media people, you know, uh, <laughs> regularly, which is interesting. And then now that now you're hearing this stuff coming out where they're talking, which is absolutely ridiculous, by the way, I don't believe any of it. Like the idea that, uh, Oh, Russia hacked our elections. That's one thing they come out with, which is, uh, wait a minute. Isn't that yeah. a conspiracy theory? So you got like the mainstream press openly engaging in conspiracy theories because it isn't by their own definition, isn't a conspiracy theory. Like when you when you when you say that any government or anything that identified as government is involved in some concerted secretive uh, law breaking, that's conspiracy theory. You, you're not supposed to do that. That that doesn't happen yeah, in because, real life. But yeah, because you know, conspiracy theories apply to other countries, not to your own. Right. right, yeah, yeah. Or, so that's or, another or to, or to arbitrary criteria for like, what a conspiracy theory is. Yeah, or to al- al- Qaeda, Al Qaeda, or Osama bin Laden. I mean, they're conspiracies, right? Yeah. But I mean, the whole the whole thing is logically without any kind of basis. This whole discussion over fake news because it it, it 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 implies that there is such thing as a real news, and there is no such thing, and there never has been. The new yeah. media has never represented that, and uh, that's that's what I was bringing up the stuff with the. Uh, with the only court case, and I asked the attorney over at the FCC, I called him and I said, you know, because I was having trouble finding anything related to this subject. And this was even before this was being talked about, because, you know, we always talk about it here anyway, fake news. And because uh, my question is like, OK, so, you know, is it is it technically illegal for the news media to come out with a fake hoax news story is that is that illegal and as far as i can tell it's not i mean they the only the only uh thing the only stipulation that they have is like their whole license you know with with the law is this license that they hold from the state and then there's there's a court case where they've uh the fc the seraphim versus fcc where this guy wanted to um, sue the FCC. He wasn't going to, but you know, to to block the reissuance of the license, the broadcast license for CBS because of something CBS did in reporting uh, something about. Um, dang it, where was it? Or where they were? Well, it's some story they did on sixty Minutes or something like that. That this guy was pointing out that was fake news. It was like it was it was painting a picture of a. Uh, Oh, dang. Was it in? I don't want to. I don't know. You have to go look at it. But it's uh, anyway, the whole thing was that, you know, he's going to sue the FCC not to, you know, to, to prevent CBS getting their license renewed. And they and they just threw the the judges threw it all out of court. And if you go through that case, which I have, I haven't read the whole thing thoroughly, read a couple of pages of it so far. And you go back and read the whole entire thing. But. I get the gist of it, just kind of scanning it, and it's, and it's kind of like, well, what is the criteria? What is the real legal criteria that would that you would have to present in a so-called court of law 
to prevent any of these major news outlets from getting their license renewed. And and it and it's almost like you have to you have such a high burden of proof to prove that they intentionally and knowingly put something out that was false. It's basically useless. It's there is no law against it. And plus yeah. it's like covered under First Amendment free speech. So you don't you could put out anything you want and then you have you have a burden of proof to show and this is what I picked up from talking to a couple of people at FCC. This one lady's told me it's like, from what I can gather so far, looking into this, what you have to prove is that they had willful intent to cause harm. You have to demonstrate the harm that was created by the fake news story and that it was directly connected to the news story that they deliberately and intentionally put out that was fake and hoax. And then they did so with uh, malice of forethought and knowledge and all that. So there's this very, very extremely high bar that is set for what would constitute uh, an action legally in the courts to to prevent like a, a renewing of a license. Now, this is this is something that is not even touching on any kind of criminal charges or anything like that. So with that in mind, it's like. What what is this thing called the news media and what is their whole uh, as an entity, as a corporate entity? What what is their uh, what is, you know, society or the law or the government standard that regulates how they operate? There is none. There is no real tangible, identifiable piece of law or anything that prevents them from just deliberately just cranking out fake shit is what they do all the time. And they're often called out on it and they often have to admit it. It doesn't matter. They still proceed forward business as usual. Because another thing too, like when Brian Williams came out and he, he spewed a bunch of bullshit and he was all over the, uh, the talk shows and everything talking about how he got shot down in a helicopter, blah, 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 <laughs> total bullshit, total lies, totally made up, got called out on it. But see, that's Brian Williams and it's all his fault, Right. That's how the shit works. It's like they, so they, so like that. The, that's the nature of corporations, too. You know, quote unquote, legally, it's like you have this corporate body that's designated as a a per. It's got personhood, but no accountability and no liability for anything that they do. So anytime that the, you can point out, say ABC News is just uh, where does Brian Williams work at NBC or whatever doesn't matter. They're all the same. But like you know, you could point out that oh, he you know he's just full of shit, just absolutely full of shit. And it's like, well, that's him. So if he uh, did he go to jail? Did he get a fine? No, it's just like he did he get did he get fired for a bit? I think he went to work for somebody else, didn't he? Uh, you know, it's like yeah, and then, yeah, because there was recently I just watched this thing where he's talking about fake news. All the people in the world to talk about fake news is Brian Williams talking about <laughs> problems, bad fake news. It's like you got to be fucking shitting me. But it's like no people take them seriously. Still, it doesn't matter. It's like well, you got a bunch of. Um, I guess birth traumatized, you know, drones out there that have been drinking fluoride and taking shots. And that that's the only explanation you can have for that set of circumstances being able to fly. I mean, God dang, man. But, and in regards yeah. to those, uh, to the news outlets, I think that they are, when they're chartered as a, you know, as a news corporation or as a purveyor of news, I think they're termed as entertainment. No, so they're not. Fox really, News is, is, not really is the, uh, categorized under entertainment on their Fox yeah. on the yeah Fox website. Yeah, so, that, so you got so you got that. You know, by the way, the news channels by the are way, categorized as entertainment. 
I got, I got to ask. So they don't have to give news. They just got to entertain people. So that's another way that can escape uh, the you know legal action against them. I, I got to ask everybody here if they have seen the Meg- Fox News Megan Kelly interviews with J- with is it James Oliphantus, the one who owns Comet Pizza. Oh Comet yeah, yeah, Pizza. I saw that. Hmm. Oh yeah, he was talking about government policy in an interview that in an article too. You know that they gotta they gotta start uh you know curating news. You're gonna start looking at people's IDs, you know, online. So he's, he, oh, yeah. he's like basically giving like a forward a policy for the government. Yeah, I mean, anytime the guy who GQ magazine ranks is among the top fifty most influential personages in the federal district. And what's he own? He owns a. I understand he owns a similar pizza place over there in Germany too. Yeah, Maybe. I heard that too. But uh, the reason why I bring that up is because you see. To be honest, I, I'm almost. It's to me, it's even more interesting to observe Megyn Kelly and Fo- her role and the role of Fox. In you know, Alephantis is just. He reads from – it's pretty obvious he's reading from a script, and he's always deployed as an operative. You know, that that's it. That's his – but there – look at look at how they are – and Meg, she's a lawyer, right? She has a, a law degree, right? So she knows that there's, that there's considerable evidence that's been presented based just on those uh, Instagram pics alone, I think, and other things. Granted, most of it most of it is circumstantial. I, the stuff having to do with the, uh, alleged coded language in the emails that that could be classed as circumstantial. But there are other things that are a little more material, and I, I you know there may be even more that we don't even know about. But I, I, it's critical to me to see how Fox News and Megyn Kelly are being used and, and in, 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 to normalize. To somehow normalize or banalize this thing, because anybody watching it, and and this is here's here's what we have to we have to qualify this now, because when you're talking about new media, I'll bet how many people actually watch Fox News on TV as opposed to catching a Fox News clip on YouTube. I just want you to, under, to look at those two categories right there because I say that over time there'll be more people looking at those clips on YouTube than there will be who actually sit and watch it on TV unless they're, I don't know, invalids or something. I can't imagine what do you, somebody – What do you think the uh, – has? have you heard anybody bring this up? Like what is the – how do you define fake news under uh, under law? Like, what is the legal oh, – have you yeah, heard anybody mention about, that? Yeah, there's been talk about the equivalent of shouting fire in a crowded movie theater and crap like that. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I've been – you know, um, but I think this – the consensus is that this is a stupid meme. Okay, well, well, think about this for a second. If that is the case, like there is some – they're alluding to some kind of – they're saying it's the equivalent of fire in a, in a crowded theater or whatever. So whatever, whatever, whatever their whatever bullshit analogy well, they're, they're making they're or whatever, to this whatever event, the case. They're pointing. What, they're using the event with the, with the rifle and the guy at the comet ping pong. Well, right, right, right. Well, I know. I understand. Right. I understand all that. 
But it it here's the thing. Where is the case law? Where 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 is the case law? Where you're telling me that this has never been an issue in the past with any any news organization in the past putting out something that was false, other than this uh, Seraphim versus FCC case. That the only one case that I know, the only one case that attorney at FCC knew about, and then he he referred me to that. Is there any? Where's the where's the case law or anything that's dealing with this? fire in a crowded theater horse shit or whatever well, because even, certainly even, then there's some there is some legal precedent or case law or some something right. somewhere that is addressing this and nobody's referring it for it's just some sort of sort of arbitrary designation that they're they're right now as we speak they're they're crafting this and they're and they're putting all this stuff out and then Nobody has any critical thinking skills. Nobody's nobody's like examining the premises or looking at this. Like, what the fuck are they talking about? Okay, define it because you're talking about uh, you're right. You know, it's it's alluding to a ref- or or at least in, inferring some sort of like legal uh, repercussions on this thing called fake news. It's like okay, first of all, you have to define it, and then not only that, you have no, to no, no, have- no, 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 not legal repercussions. No, you no, no, that's not what they're looking for. They yeah, but in order, in order for them to, in order for them to set something up, in order for them to have a designation of something as being fake news, in order so they can quote unquote take action, whatever that happens to be, they, they, yeah, it certainly doesn't have to be legal or illegal. They can arbitrarily make a distinction, but it's like, um, here's the thing: it's like, so, so they have these, and, and see, I then again too, I don't watch the news and I don't really follow all this stuff closely because I just can't. I can, I pick up stuff here and there, but I've never ran across anything so far as like, well, what, who is coming on, uh, batting this down with the, you know, with the. Uh, with the idea that, like, what? Okay, or, or, or coming at it from that angle, like, where it's like, okay, what? Are, okay, what is the what is the so-called law law say on this? And where's the case law? And where's the how how is this all going to be fine legally? Here's the argument. Be- here's the argument right here. We already established that the meme fake news is the artist formerly known as conspiracy theory. You know, just as the meme climate change is the artist formerly known as global warming. Yeah, but you can't define – like you can't define conspiracy theory. Like there is no definition of that. It's just just a loaded term. They want to outlaw, regulate, or label or or perhaps censor. See, this is about denial of service. That's Mm -hmm. what it is. It's about Facebook and Google, which I guess are now one and the same. I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. about all these platforms – now actually uh, blanking out content. And I understand they have started to do that in some cases, Arbit- but it's so arbitrary. It really is arbitrary. So it looks, it doesn't have any uh, consistency or, pa- but they, they want to establish a precedent for their authority to do it without it, you know, but here's the, here's the, here's the, this is a, ter- this is a stupid thing. They, this, no, they should have come up with something else. If they, if they couldn't use conspiracy theory anymore to silence uh, dissent out here, and therefore they needed something new. They should have come up with something else besides the, this fake news meme trivializes it. It makes it into a joke. It, it sounds like it was made up by somebody who does not understand the web, the internet. Do you you understand? Is there? A, I'm taking up. Hey, guys, consider this fake news. That's lame. What do you mean fake news? 
I mean, are you saying all news is real or some of it's fake? Or what, what is that? Fake news. Oh, that's the stuff you used to call conspiracy theory? Well, that's lame. Is there anybody here that thinks that that's a brilliant phrase that they've come up with? I don't think it's I mean, brilliant, it's, but I think, I think it's, it's, it's effective for what for no, for what no, they're no, for what they're not. talking about doing. It, it needs well. It, it all, the only thing that's necessary is that it be some catchy, simplistic. It's got to be really simplistic. It's got to be really. I hear people joking about. It. I hear people joking about it constantly. All I hear is people joking about. It. It's a joke. Well, well it isn't, of course, it's a joke, but it's it, right. You know, like what the question is is like okay, how is this gonna how is this going to pan out as far as what, you know, so they're talking about like, uh, they're testing it, the water. Here's what they're doing. They're putting the yeah, thermometer exactly. in the water and they're, right. and they're saying, Hmm, are people ready for us to bring down, start to bring down a hammer on some of this stuff? And what, how far can we go in silencing some of these, irrespective of what they say, the content won't matter. They, they, they know who they want to target, but there's something else that's going on here. And that's the mainstreaming of their preferred alternative media, which is to say Alex Jones and Breitbart and all the other things that they want to drive people to, see? What are they going to do? They're going to shut him down? I don't think so. So this creates a He's problem. under attack by the Chinese right now. Got, <laughs> is that what he No, said? really. Yeah. yeah, I got an email yeah. the other day. Like, he needs, he needs you to buy um, water filters and mm. super male vitality. or Well, you probably need some... You want to get some super I gotta wonder, email vitality? Anybody have who's that too. watching, anybody who's watching that Fox News interview, that Megyn Kelly butt-sucking interview with Alphantis, which is clearly scripted. Her everything about it was scripted. Well, it was an example of fake news. Now, okay, whether okay, whether there's anything to the Pizzagate thing or not, it w- the way that was presented is lie by omission because they didn't even touch on. Because there's there, the way they they painted a picture of like oh the, you know people just went off the rails and they started looking at this stuff and then it's all about uh you know and they keep saying this too I this is like a, a scripted talking point it's like um what's the Podesta's ricotta recipe oh, oh he had a recipe in there and there's a code <laughs> it's like you know but see it's lies by omission and so it's like a perfect example. Of fake news, so they're talking about fake news while engaging in fake news by engaging in lies of omission by not. It's like, why do people get up so uptight about this thing? And so, um, I don't know. Maybe you can. Do they talk about the pedo logo on the on the piece oh, no, of they place? No. They, did they talk about the the guy putting chicken lover on the guy with, with his gay lover holding the kid where they don't have kids and he's putting right. he's he's exactly. making an overt reference exactly. to? Did, did they talk about that? No. Did right. they talk about like all this other stuff? Fake or not, or real or not, the Pizzagate thing. This. It's like they they they're not talking about the real um, sort of you know uh, the, the stuff that like people are going crazy over. They they just touch. They're just you know lying through omission and just you know put, setting up straw man and knocking it down. But see, they, they, they should never have put him on the air like that. They should never have done that. That was a mistake on their part. Uh, I no, I, I, I don't. I don't think it's. I know. I, I think they know exactly what they're doing. I think this is all. Well, yeah, this is all yeah. a. Uh, this is all psychological operation. I don't think. I don't and think. I think it's going mean, off just as they planned it to. I don't think there's any any missteps on any of this. I think it's going to serve whatever agenda that they're setting out to do, and whatever it whatever it turns out. I think that it's 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 it, from appearances anyway. All I can see is it's it's going exactly as planned. I mean, they put out this information in such a way so that there's nothing really 
incriminating that you can really pin down, but there's stuff that's very suggestive of the stuff. And then you see the way that they're presenting it. They can just conveniently leave out those yeah, really None of that matters, things. Chris. None of that right. matters. Well, it doesn't matter. Here's but what I matters. Mean, Here's what matters. At some point down the road, some of these gangsters are going to have to throw some of their partners under the bus. Well, that will be works. the... That's how it works. And, that, and, and, and when that moment comes, and it and can be sooner than you think, it can be tomorrow. When that moment mm-hmm. comes, and somebody's got to throw, got to say, "Oh well, what, I didn't know," or I, they got, he's got to make excuses. But in order to prove, in order to prove that he's clean, he's got to really throw his partner under the bus. When that moment happens, then all of this will be pulled out and recalled, and everyone who is associated with it, everyone who is associated with it, will 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 be known, will be exposed. If they aren't already. Ah, no. They aren't there's, there's, already. And there's that, nothing. That, you know. See, Lynn, this is, okay, the thing about it, too, is that, and I, and I tried to point this out on the last call, it's like, th- this, because um, we're talking about institutionally sanctioned child abuse, this goes on all across the country. Right. I mean, this is, like, everywhere. This is, like, all over the place. This is this, this is something that's an ongoing thing. It's just, it's the price of the roads. I'll, I'll just put but it that way. But we want to catch some because, you know, when you we talk about some of these... We when you do, when you, somebody, oh, they're going to throw somebody in the bus. I don't even think it's, they don't even they don't need to throw anybody on the bus. What they need to do is put it in your face and saying, "What can you do about it?" There's nothing you can do about it. And I, and I look at that Alifanis interview, and it it was almost like he was saying stuff that was suggestive of that. But he, of course, he didn't yeah. say that. But it was like he yeah, he, was, he said something to that effect. But it it was almost could be taken as a bit I, of I meaning. Would, I, you know, I, I would suggest but, you go back. And look at Megan Kelly's body language and facial expression, and you understand. In other words, he was it, it, he was being prompted. He was being if you watch it, he was being prompted. Nothing. There was no originality in anything. He was being prompted. She is an attorney. She probably helped script that interview. This oh, is sure. really in, and I don't know what's in her closet. But now I'm curious. Do you understand? If I were in her career position, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I'd have to pass the story on to somebody else. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't. There's but nothing, then again, maybe there's nothing she has for them no say to... so over that. She has no say so over that. Yeah. And if she has, if, if she ha- can be used in that way, you know, it, because you know, you fly high. You know, it, it's about being exposed to flack because you're flying where you shouldn't. No, this pizza gate, this pizza thing is not going to go away, and down the line, it can be used in in internecine struggles within the ruling class itself. Bloody struggles. This will be used. This will be used. Now, I understand what you're saying. The ongoing, the calculation is by the time that happens, everyone will be so numb to the generic issue of human trafficking and trafficking in children, that, that they'll just yawn, that there won't be any big deal over it. And you might be right about that. I don't know. People may already be so drugged out that they, they don't care. Well, uh, here's a, like Alan, Alan Watt brought this up, and I think he, it was a really good point, is that, you know, we, you know, we had in the past, we've had these sex scandals that have come, come and gone. You know, we had the... Uh, Oh, Clinton won, and there was like a congressman or some girl turned up dead and all that, and that was uh, real, real uh, sensationalized and everything. That went on for a while, and it's like, well, you know, 
they've, they've had so many of those come and go. I mean, just one after the other after the other. It's like people are they need they need to take it now and they need to ramp it up a bit more. And then now now they have to like have this controversy or these uh, scandals. They need to have them involved something out of the out out of the norm because everybody's sort of this has been sort of old hat and it's sort of threadbare at the, at this point. So yeah, now we need to bring in. Uh, something more extreme like pedophilia and stuff like that in order to get people's attention. Like before it was good enough just to put out like a hooker scandal or something like that with the, you know, governor of York or whatever they've had in the past. So these ongoing things that always kind of on, on like on almost like a schedule, like on a time clock that pop up with a, a sex scandal or something. And uh, yeah. so it's just another one of those. And see this this child trafficking stuff. It's it, it it's nothing new. It's been I'm sure it's been around for forever. And uh, and now they're drawing attention to it for for a very specific reason. And, and it's not if if anybody's got any idea in their head that there's going to be a lot of people take the fall for this or be thrown under the bus or whatever. It's not going to happen. Well, that's what happen. I'm hearing. What what I'm reading out there, people are saying that they're getting ready to junk, pretty much junk what we have been up to now calling mainstream media. That they're just going to dump it and they're going to put all their chips into this new, into some kind of newly framed alternative media, principally you know people like Alex Jones, that something along those lines, to replace what what is probably going to be obsolete very shortly anyway. Because I, if you, I understand no one even. I mean, who who pays attention to the New York Times or CNN anymore? I, I'm not so sure that people even pay where, that much attention. Where would these people like Alex Jones get their material from? You know, that's the whole model of the alternative mm-hmm. media is spinning right. the mainstream media or looking right. for the truth within the mainstream media. We're generating its so, own narrative. We're generating like its own narrative. You know, it's wherever it can generate its own narrative. Now they work in put- they work in a lot of respects. They work in tandem. Like you'll have the news media come out, like with the Fukushima crap, and then they'll say, "Oh yeah, Fukushima. Yeah, they got it contained. They got it under control." The alternative media comes out and it's like the sky is falling. We're all going to die. The ma- mainstream media is covering it up. So that way, you know, they can have this, you know, kind of back and forth, this dialectic process and all this stuff. And then there's this there's a symbiotic relationship between the so-called alternative press and then the mainstream press. So they can like sort of feed into one another. And then one and then they have this. It's just like the left right debate. It's like the alternative news and the mainstream news. And it's like, you know, they could just bat stuff back and forth. And then it, what, what it does is like the alternative media can. And say because nobody trusts the mainstream media. Obviously, they've shot their credibility with a lot of people. So it's it's so now they're at a which is a convenient for that's why you're seeing the so-called alternatives. So they can give you gold nuggets of truth and stuff like that to to gain your trust, and then they can get engaged. What we're seeing now, it's like we're you know it's 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 so obvious to me. We're like Alex Jones is promoting a Republican candidate for president. When I remember, like all he used to talk about is the phony left-right paradigm. He says it's phony, it's bullcrap, and and like, yeah. and now he's endorsing a Republican candidate for president. I mean, how absolutely transparent is that? It's just totally, it, you know, so it's, it's obvious what's going on. So yeah, he's alternative, and now well, I guess he's the establishment, right? But anyway, there's there's that. It's just the it's just a dialectic being set up. It's just like the left right wing thing, except for now we got alternative and we got mainstream, and they can they could they could bat 
things off the uh, off one another and you know say oh um like where they did like sandy hook it's like oh they, you know they're shooting and you obviously know something's up here with the mainstream putting in this stuff out it's like there's all these you know, they left the kids in the school. They didn't, you know, they didn't triage them or anything. It's like, what the hell is going on? They just pronounced the cops, pronounced all this other stupid shit, you know, that they reported. And then the alternative media can come out and say, oh, here's what they're covering up. There was more shooters. And then and they went on with that. And then so they're bat, they're batting up. See, the overall impression, even a lot of people to this day think Sandy Hook was real. You know, and they said, oh, well, did they cover it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was covered up. But there was multiple shooters and there was, oh, the kid was on psychotropic drugs. They always throw that in there so that it's like they're going to give you something to latch on to that's going to be that's going to fit within a certain narrative. But it's but it's the, those two sides are playing off each other. It's 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 obvious. And so so there's this um, symbiotic symbiotic relationship. I already said that, but it's like that's. That's what you're seeing here. And it's like, so that's the new media. It's like where you have the so-called alternative play, taking stuff from the mainstream and re repurposing it and putting it out. I, I don't know if they anticipated as many people catching on to the f- totally fraudulent nature of these fake events, though. That's that's is, is that something that's like a, a wrench in the works? I don't know, because even to this day, the alternative media pretends like it doesn't exist. It's crazy. For the most part, it's like yeah, they'll touch on it and they'll kind of dance around the edges of it, but they don't they, they don't confront it head on. It's like never that it's simulated. Yeah. It's always uh, patsies or or the CIA or something. But right. but the they're, event is real. Yeah, they're going to give you a conspiracy, an alternative. They're going to give you a conspiracy theory to go along with the uh, the the mainstream because you know the mainstream's full of shit. Anybody that's got their eyes half open. And so, you know, people are, it's going to push people to the so-called alternative and the alternative is going to tell them what to think about it. And they're saying, oh yeah, they're covering up, but oh, it's, it's definitely real. Don't, don't deny that. Even though Alex Jones, he'll, he, I, I think that he is, you know, he, he, he's, he's forced to admit that, 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 that's, uh, I even heard him say stuff to the effect that he thinks it's fake. Sandy Hook was fake. But, uh, yeah, I heard that. I heard him tiptoe around and and say inside job or or false flag, yeah. but uh, yeah, it was false flag to take the guns and never said that it was fake. At, at least from what I heard. Yeah, yeah he, he, he he straddles you're being the formal fence about on. this. You're being too formal about this. You're being entirely too formal about this. It's not what he says. It's not you know. Well, he he won't admit. No, no, that that doesn't matter. This is about something called the Overton Window. I think you've talked about this, Chris, right? Or where did I hear about this? I'm writing it down. Oh, I'm not familiar. Overton. Yeah, o- O-V-E-R-T-O-N, the Overton Window. Window. And, right, what it measures is the, is the boundaries of discourse. So mm. one can say within the first few, you know, within the first year after 9-11 – if you question the official narrative, you could really be slapped down, right? I mean, it was considered very disrespectful to question the official narrative, even, many, even though many of us did, and we paid a price for it. As time went on, and the, the emotional trauma attached to this pseudo-event began to attenuate, then, then the Overton window sort of gradually, and now, you know, now I suppose it can be talked about and even joked about, but 
Isn't it also kind yeah, of I, called framing the debate or framing the right. narrative or whatever? Right. Yeah. That, well, that's what all the alternative media and the mainstream media does. They put counter to each other, but they're creating a, a framework to interpret things in. Well, not necessarily. That's the thing. The, that framework has to be able to contain a dynamic real life, uh, you know, population out there. And so the idea is. It's a lot easier to open the Overton window than to close it, see? I mean, you've got to do something. You need a real pretext and excuse to close it, maybe like a false flag attack or something to close the Overton window. But on the other hand, if you don't continue to open it to allow – if you try to artificially contain within, two, within a boundary that is, within a region that is too narrow – then it'll, then things will really spill over, and you'll lose. Not only will people start questioning, you know, the official narrative of nine eleven, they'll start looking at the, you know, the moonwalks and NASA, and you know, on and on and on, chemtrails, whatever. The idea, though, is that when you hear Alex Jones saying, "Well, I don't know, I think it was fake, but I don't know," you know, I haven't had time to look at it, you know, whatever excuses he's got, well, no, that doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, we can look at it and say you're full of shit, Jones. You know, goddamn well it was fake, and everybody who's it's it, it been now t- how many years? In 2014, it happened. Come on, we know it was fake, just like the Boston Marathon. What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. But that's not the point. What Jones is saying is, well, you know, you people out there, you're perfectly entitled to consider the possibility that it was fake, and maybe go out there and check it out. If if you really have the gumption, check out for yourself. You know, if you're that curious, see. Mm-hmm. If Jones were really evading or avoiding the subject, which he does a lot of subjects, that needs to be that that needs to be duly noted. You're right. Always, always. If you see Alec, somebody call call in and raise a subject, Alec Jones scoots away from it as fast as he can, because he doesn't have anything prepared for it. Right? He's got nothing in the script for it. Or maybe the script is for him to run away from it. But if he's got something prepared, then you have to you have to say, oh, let's see what they've handed him to say. Let's see let's see how wide the Overton window is on this. And when he says, oh, it's okay to think that it's fake, that Sandy Hook was fake. I don't know that it is. I don't know, but it's okay. You know, it's not marginal. I might think that. See, that's. That, that's what I mean by the overdue window. He's I don't I wouldn't give a sh- I, I know he's a lying carnival barking opportunist and he's in business for the money. That's not the point. He's announcing oh well by the oh by the way guys I don't mind someone tagging me for questioning Sandy Hook the way Hillary Clinton did in her speech because Hillary Clinton made a point. This really got me. This really got me, and I've gone back and I've listened to that Hillary Clinton, and I don't know if it was a real speech or not. It looks like it was just a digital speech, but one way or another, it was very carefully crafted. They pushed Sa- – they didn't have to include Sandy Hook in there. Why did they do that? Mm, that's, yeah, that's called up, You know what that is? That's upping the ante. That's mm-hmm. upping – that's throwing down. They're looking for confrontation on this because think how many people are going to say, what did you, what's that about? People who never even, who might have faintly heard about it, and uh, some shooting in Connecticut, what was that about? Why did she mention that? Uh, maybe I should take a second look at that. And if they go out on the web and look, what are they going to find? They're going to find a half a dozen videos. They're going to find <laughs> Robbie Parker yucking it up, or Gene Rosen, or, or another, another Academy Award-winning performance by medical examiner Wayne Carver. Or the O'Donnells on Anderson Cooper. Oh, my God, was anything ever more... Stunning than that, mm-hmm. watching her grin and snicker and ugh. I mean, 
it's going to drive people back to these media narratives if they're curious. Now, as you say, if they're brain dead, if they're drugged, if they're numb, then they won't care. But if they're the least bit curious, <clears throat> where do you think it's going to take them? It's going to take them right to where we want them. So uh, it's, they're going to have to confront the illusion of it all. Now, maybe that's the plan. Maybe the plan is to say, hey, you guys, it's, we've been bullshitting you all along. How do you like that? What are you going to do about it? Yeah, we built the buildings on 9-11. So what? What are you going to do about it? I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, I think that's where we're headed. I, I, think, I that, think that's, I where think that's Trump where we're at. That's where we're at. Or, mm-hmm. they, do, they, they put little bits out there in each one of these events for us. Uh, knowing that only a small percentage are going to latch on or 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 give a a care about it, uh, but yeah, I, I think they're they're goofing on everybody, and they intend for it to be known, at least by some people. Well, psychopaths are that way. Psychopaths they get extra, and also there's power in saying, "Look what we can get away with," because you don't know that we've done these outrageous things, but. There's there's enough there's enough smoke there there's enough evidence. Yeah, you, and that's what Pizzagate concerned. is. But I don't know. Well, I think here's a here's a some a point I want to make about this is that you have like you know agenda show with Adam Curry and John Devore. It's a pretty it's a pretty big podcast and it's it gets a lot of uh you know exposure and then he was just recently on Alex Jones and uh, Adam Curry was. And it was under this, uh, I think John may be on here. Maybe he can uh, throw in some uh, thoughts on this. But the the, uh, the the thing was, it's under this pretext that, oh, yeah, we need to come together as, you know, quote, unquote, alternative news and kind of band together now. And and, and what I, one thing I've noticed, like, No Agenda does and then Alex Jones does is they sort of, it, as far as the, the fake and ho- hoax news is concerned, is like – They've they've been real successful in sort of containing it to to contain it to put it out there and to say hey yeah we know what's up with that yeah you can you can listen to us we're we're okay uh, yeah we know the Sandy Hook was fake and all that they they can they could they could um, you know put it out there as like okay we'll, we'll, we're on to this and yeah and, and we're hip to it but at the same time like Alex Jones and like Noah Jenna showed it, they go forward and they discuss things. And without the wider implications of the fake hoax stuff going on, in other words, like they can they can analyze an event or come out with not even asking the question first, which would be the natural question to ask if you're aware of the fakery. It's like, is, does this even happen? No, they don't even do that. So they they take it and they acknowledge it, but they don't address the wider implications of what that means. So that way, they're 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 inter- they can introduce you to the idea. But then, then tell you and inform you how you how to think about it, which is not to apply it, not to apply that knowledge, not to not to use it to um, form a critical analysis of you know not only these so-called events but anything else that we're presented with, and then go forward you know uh, and go rock the vote for Trump. I mean, for fuck's sake, that's that's how re- that's you know it, it doesn't it, it doesn't it's not a coherent. Narrative. It's just like they just throw and mix it in. They can mix it into the the big you know shit stew they got going on, and and give you uh, you know throw some good stuff in there. But overall, it's just a bunch of crap because it's it's, it's going to muddy people's thinking. It's gonna it's just gonna like. Um, it, but then at the same time, 
oh, well, yeah, I'm aware of it, and there seems to be a lot to it, and then these guys are talking about it, so they must be legit. It's like, um, it, it could be deliberate or not. So I'm not, like, saying this with uh, even though I do, I do believe that uh, they are controlled opposition, and they probably know that they are. It's like, I'm not saying that everybody that engages in this is doing it consciously, necessarily. I'm talking about like YouTubers and stuff out there that do the same thing, but uh, no. Who are you? I'm sorry, Chris. Who are you identifying as controlled opposition again? Oh, like a No Agenda show or Alex Jones, obviously, you know. And hmm. uh, yeah, I think I, 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 yeah, I think that's part of the program is to introduce the concept, but then you know. It's like Alex Jones will introduce all this stuff to you about the eugenics programs and, and all this other stuff and about vaccines and, and you know, good information and, and, and useful information and all this other stuff. But then at the same time, he's going to give you a box to work within, which is the, you know, Constitution is real and we need to get back to yeah. restoring the republic <laughs> and all that. So that's that's what he does. He's he's taking the narrative and he's he's containing it within this framework, and then at the same time he can he can use that to appeal to uh, like a a certain already pre, already pre prepped audience, which is like you know the, like I referred to earlier the con- parchment worshippers or constitution lovers and all that you know that's it's it's uh but you know see we 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 need to keep it contained and within that box you know we can't it, it's not allowed to venture beyond that that's what far. i meant that's what i meant that's what yeah, i meant by the o- overton window that's a precise description of how the overton window operates so. yeah or framing the yeah, bait or there's different terms for that but yeah overton window that's a good one yeah and uh alex jones does that too for other subjects you know, like uh, when he talks about Ebola, he says it's a weaponized uh, virus. Uh, Zika is a weaponized. It comes from the Rockefellers or whatever. When you look at John Rappaport's work, he actually goes even further to that. You know, he actually says, hey, the government, CDC, whatever, they create fake epidemics. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that what they say is real. It's happening. And, you, you know, and you go into this weird uh, areas which are not really factual. You know, if you go deep enough and you look at it, it's not, there's not really any virus there. It's not really any, you know, epidemic there. And Alex Jones, you know, resorts to saying, oh, everything is absolutely real, what the government does, you know, like the viruses, that's actually something that's happening. Instead of actually looking at the facts, like John Rappaport does. Yeah, then, you know, he, he can engage in fear-mongering and say, oh, yeah, folks, they're going to yeah. release a bioweapon, and, you know, I've seen that I know about these uh, wep- uh, level 7 bioweapons labs and on and on, and, yeah, so, you know, it's a, a lot of fear-mongering is a big part of it, you know, which is a which is a control method, obviously, you know, it's, it's a really primarily fear-based mind control that Alex Jones will engage in, and then, yeah, again, he could play, that's another example where he can play that off against the mainstream media, it's like, the, like the Ebola thing. So he's saying, oh, the, yeah, the, what the mainstream media is not telling you, that it's – and his his angle will be, oh, no, folks, it, it's like way worse than they're telling you. It's This is broken out here and here and here, and they're not telling you that. See, that's another example. Yeah, because he, 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 has, he accepts the narrative, you know, in regards to uh, you know, epidemics. He does accept the narrative of, of the mainstream media, you know, that there's a epidemic out there, but he then he turns around and says, oh, no, the government does it. 
But yeah. instead of looking at, you know, hey, they, there's really no epidemic there. Like John Rappaport exposes, you know, he does a really good research. You know, exposes that most of the, you know, these epidemics that go on every few years, there's no really any scientific basis for them. Right. Here's another, here's another way to maybe, here's another term, or maybe I'll just coin this term. It's like the, the compartmentalization of content. It's like you could have John Rappaport put this stuff out and they say, oh, fake epidemics. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's probably true. But see, you know, John Rappaport is not going to like go into like, I don't know if he does or not. I don't listen to him, but I, 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 I don't think he probably tells you that these mass shootings and bombings and shit are fake too. Right. No, yeah, he he, he, he goes into well. I I, I, heard, I heard him talking about you know the SSRI drugs. I think he does a few articles about Sandy Hook, but uh, I think I do I do think he does expose some of that. But I'm talking mostly about you know that aspect that Alex Jones talks about. You know that he takes face value what the government says. You know that there is an epidemic. Oh yeah, yeah, there really isn't. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. Uh... Yeah, that's what we're talking about. We're, you know, it's like, what what are the wider implications of knowing that, you know, Sandy Hook, Boston bombing is fake? Is that, you know, you, well, first of all, you can't really trust anything that's coming out of the media. And see, this is all, there's this, there's this un, unexamined premise, too, that, like, the, the media is there to, like, inform you when something bad is about to happen. And I think that's established with, like, um, you know, when they'll tell you like around here, you know, we get tornadoes. So, you, you know, people will tune in the news like, where's the tornado? Is it going to touch down on the ground? Do I need to take cover? I need to pay attention to the news. So I, I told this story before where like, uh, uh, my mother's flipping out and I was like, you know, and I was trying to, so I'm next door and I'm going, I like my mom's like just really just having a meltdown. And I'm like, what, what's going on? Oh, there's a fire and it's coming. We're, we got to get out. We got to evacuate. And I said, well, I, I, if there's a fire coming, I don't smell any smoke and there's no ashes in there or anything. What are they talking about? So there's a fire out here, uh, east of town, you know, or, or west of town. And, and it's like, well, it's not coming this way or you'd know. But she's saying, oh, well, the news is saying this and that. It's like, I don't, I don't care what the news says. It's like, there, there ain't no fire coming this way. And sure enough, there wasn't. But see, the, the point is, is like, people are conditioned to like, instead of looking at their, or, you know, analyzing things with their own five senses that go to the news. And, and I, and I think that like, in some cases it can be beneficial. Like the, maybe there's some people out that way that, you know, tuned into the news and, and got out of harm's way or whatever that, you know, that's, that's, it serves a, it serves a function. It serves a purpose. But I, but what that does, it, it establishes them as uh, sort of like watchmen on the wall, like they're going to tell you when there's danger coming into the tribe or whatever, and then they've established themselves as that for the people. This so like yeah. I, I go into this a lot. Try, try to when I talk about like you know our, our the natural order of things is you know the, everything there's everything that's in our system there's it's a, it's a co it's a co opted you know natural um, uh, you know uh, need in in you know tribal orders or whatever however to say this but it, it's like the, the the media has is is filling a role that has been around for you know ever since you know there's been any social order at all even primitive or whatever it's like sort of the guardsman or the watchman or something the guy that he scouts the perimeter and he comes back and tells you if there's enemies coming or any what coming so it's, it's sort of this role that they've position themselves as but then so like when you're talking about like epidemics and stuff like that it's like you know it's it's 
so that's that's further, you know, an, another extension of like fulfilling that role. It's like, oh, here's this dangerous thing that's coming, and then you know, uh, what they call epidemic diseases and stuff like that. So that's that's part of the role to inform you about that. But no, they use it for fear mongering and control, and to, and to stampede people into the getting the shots and shit that actually does the damage. So it's like, uh, so it's the opposite of what they're positioned to be. But see that that's an unspoken premise that doesn't get examined. It's like, oh, are they the, are they a legitimate watchman on the wall? Are they are they really? It's like you know, it's like no, it's like Jones goes with the. Uh, that he, he just he just starts with that premise already established that hey, oh yeah they're telling you about real threats like I got one outbreaks for you. Yeah. or whatever because they pounce on that you know the media pounces on that you know uh, real things that happen on the world you know fires of you know natural events uh, violent human interactions they pounce on that you know they they t- they go into that real uh, real events then they exaggerate them. And they, they spin them off oh, yeah. into, you know, Check left, left. The president of the United States, what? the guy who's going to be inaugurated, he says that the media is full of shit. That was one of his campaign, you know, that the, the media was, was lies. And, and perhaps more important, he says that the, this climate change meme is a fraud and a hoax. Now, unless he reverses himself 180 degrees, and says, I think well, he already wrong. did. He already reversed himself on that. You're, he you're went kidding. and met with some people. Yeah, he's not he even in office yet, and he already reversed it. A meeting with Al Gore. There was a big to do about that. Is this East Oklahoma? Yes. Oh, how you doing? Oh, what was your name again? Claire. Claire. Okay. Yeah. All right. So he's flip-flopped already. So he met with Al Gore. Yeah. <laughs> So Al Gore got him in the alley with some brass knuckles and set Trump straight. <laughs> he has a temper. Al Gore has a temper. Yeah. A big he's, temper. He's got also a big head. Man, this, this Trump deserves to be thrown under the bus himself. Well, we just had to organize, and that's where we're at at this point. Yeah, put the pressure on him. All these promises he made, he promised he was going to investigate these criminals and lock people up. He promised he was going to do this. He promised he was going to do that. Every one of these things ought to be brought up again and again and again. It just matters on the approach that we give him, because it's all about the approach to him. So we just had to learn how to so, maneuver so. him a little bit to get the good things done. He's just a mob front but, man. But, but, uh, but are you sure? You know, Chris, it's a good deal, Chris. Hmm. The NAFTA is a good deal. <laughs> Sorry. This is Al Gore. <laughs> yeah, I remember that with Ross Perot, and and he pull, I remember Gore brought a picture, a framed picture of Smut and Hawley, to try and blame, try, basically trying to blame the original thirty two, uh, you know, thirty two depression, twenty nine thirty two depression on uh, the Smut Hawley tariff. I remember that whole thing, that debate on Larry King, and the way they tried to humiliate Ross Perot, and of course, uh-huh. it's weird because you, you never hear people. Now saying, well, Perot turned out to be right. You know, NAFTA is a catastrophe for... Oh, it is. So, but has Trump now reversed himself on the trade deals as well? Or are we getting ready for that? Because, <laughs> I mean, I heard well, that... Because they're saying yeah. that supposedly he was going to purge. He was going to purge from the Department of Energy. Lynn, you got to let Al Gore speak because he's, he, he's, uh, he's got status over you. 
Is that Al Gore wanted to speak? Al, do you have something to say? Well, you know, Chris, <laughs> when I wrote my book, Earth and Balance, I was predicting the future. You know, I invented the Internet. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, thanks, man. That's a joke. <laughs> And I have predicted climate change for going on about 25 years now. Yeah, we're going to get... I have a question for Mr. Gore. Oh, oh, yes, yeah, well... (laughs) Maybe maybe Bill Clinton's better at taking questions from the ladies. No, this is about your daddy. This is about your daddy. When you guys were having a fight about that tobacco farm, you guys broke crystal in the office. How do you handle your temper when speaking to others, when you can't handle yourself with your father? Well, let me tell you something, little messy. <laughs> Al, Al and Hillary both beat me up. Yeah. They beat me up like a tag team wrestling. <laughs> Al's got quite a Now, Actually, Al Gore Sr., Chris and I have talked about this before, Al Gore Sr. was the lapdog to Armand Hammer, the, um, the oil... The, the communist oil man, the George Soros of the 70s and 80s. That's true. And, and, and now the Gores... I'm impressed. The Gore, yeah, the Gores sit on the board of um, the Armin, the former oil company owned by Armand Hammer, and the Gores run it. They also had um, Christian International in, what was that country called? Liberia. And when the Civil War happened there, everything fell apart. Yeah. Well, the, the carbon trading scheme, I suppose Gore's already got, he's got all kinds of uh, operations, scam operations set up to make money off of this uh, carbon exchange trading scheme. That Oh, he really believes in it. The carbon dioxide is a pollutant, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, so what, what are they going to do? They're going to cut Trump into this? into that? I mean, he's, he campaigned against it. People are going to haul out the videos and of the speeches he made. Are you sure he said that, the, Lynn? Because I, I, I don't remember that. I mean, did he say he was against global warming? Do you? I don't remember that. Why, Ron, do you remember that? I don't. I don't know why anybody's under some. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking a friendly de- debate with what you're saying, Lynn. It, it's being, not. It's not. Um, flippant. Uh, it's not a. It's not a, an attack on what you're saying. I'm just friendly debating it. Why are you under the assumption that anybody's going to hold anybody accountable for anything at all when they never do? We're going to have millions and millions of extremely alienated and embittered. Well, we got a lot of work to do if we're going to start doing that because we got to we got to hold Obama accountable for all his promises. I mean, we should we should start with the currently sitting president if we're going to do that. I mean, how many promises did he hold to? Oh, he gave us free health care. Oh, it's not free. Oh, well. Uh, I don't know. What did he do? Did he, I mean, is there anybody talking right? about this? That's what I, I keep always bitching so about. He, he played golf. He played golf. 
Oh, Obama. right, right. So he was and a good president. Not as much as Bush Jr. He played a lot more golf than Obama did. Yeah, so he needs to be held accountable for Obama. Why didn't you? Your golf score compared to Bush's sucks, man. I mean, you need to be held accountable. Right. I think he needs Obama. to be held accountable for that. His Obama poor performance beat. on the greens. His but he had a lot of meetings on those greens. Shit. I mean, they had meetings. So maybe he really didn't care about his par. Well, he needs to be held accountable. That's all I know. And uh, well, there's one thing. There's one thing I want to add um, because I wasn't listening to the call earlier, so I don't know if you discussed this. But on the call that I did with Tim, um, I brought something up about fake news and how the idea, the meme of fake news, is actually yeah. to muddy the waters so that fakery, media fakery, gets lost in the fake oh, news. Oh yeah, in the search results and everything. Gaslighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Well, okay. Can you explain that? Uh, what's your uh, uh, chat name, so I can? Uh, this is Claire. Questions? I'm not in the chat because um, my phone app it doesn't open up the the chat area. So I just call okay. in to listen, and then it okay. sounded interesting when you were talking about the vaccinations, and I'm curious. Uh, gaslighting. You want to talk about gaslighting, though, right? Yeah. Well, what it, what I was saying was is that. Um, Fake news was the idea, the meme, or the idea of it was introduced because too many people are finding about media fakery. And it's not necessarily fake news um, as it's being described in the mainstream or how it's being argued back and forth between alternative media and mainstream media. It's actually because there's too many people finding out that most of this stuff is fake. And the way, and nobody's ever going to bring that up. Nobody's ever going to bring up like, you know, oh, don't listen to the people who talk about, you know, the Orlando shooting being a hoax or anything like that. Um, well, actually, Hillary Clinton did mention that in that speech about Sandy Hook being a hoax. But but what it is is it's there to to muddy the waters. So when, you know, you start telling some somebody about something being fake or people start hearing about things being fake, they go, oh, it's fake news. But it's mm. fake news within the context of how the mainstream and the alternative media go back and forth as to what is fake news and what isn't did not you, media fakery. Did you so, say fake so, news? You said saying, fake You said fake news, John? So you're, you're talking about them, you're talking about them Russians. Uh, that that that's doing them. That, they's doing the fake news. Yeah, I know all about that, man. I heard about it on TV. It's Russian. So we look right? at journalism. It needs to be real journalism, not just somebody's opinion without merit. You know, all of this stuff with the Russians and all that is so contrived and so <laughs> it's you ridiculous. Know. So what you're saying is. Uh, you know, I don't know if uh, you know. This is my turn of thought. So they're basically setting the precedent for even if something actually real is happening, that they can arbitrarily, you know, label it as fake news, and people will totally, right. uh, you know, ignore it and deviate from it. And, you know, and you know, for example, well, they're, there's they're a defining, real tragedy or a real crime de- being complained. Huh? They're defining yeah, ahead, the term. They're de- they're de- they're defining the term fake news. They're they're telling people what that means, and then now they're 
so in the, they're in the process of like like John was saying like they're they're heading I think they're heading something off of the past yeah too many people are catching on to you know Sandy Hook Sandy Hoax and Boston bombing hoax so they're so they're so it's before it reaches a certain critical mass they got to head it off and so they need now to for any further people that will catch on to it they need to head them off the past by giving them the definition of fake news so that when they run across it they can dis they they have a built-in dismissal like oh yeah that's them that's what the yeah. russians are doing or whatever so, just like well, I, trying to impersonate somebody that's well, introduced well them. not only that but see, just even cre- just even creating just even creating the debate about the russians just cre- just even creating that out of thin air and and having the russians and them go back and forth over over you know oh yeah we we hacked we didn't hack this and yes you did you did hack this you see that's all completely and totally um fake and 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 so that narrative in of itself is created because you see what you're going to do is if you're a republican you're going to say fake news yeah that's that stuff that the liberal media puts out and then the the people on the, on the left are going to go oh no fake news that's what the republicans believe in they believe in this myth of fake news that doesn't exist mm. well basically they're just being arbiters even further, you know, apart from creating their own narratives, they're being arbiters to uh, decide which news should be accepted by the people and what news shouldn't be accepted. But also, I think uh, there's a uh, other part of it, you know, like if the media declares fake news onto a real event. So, for example, a, a real event that's occurring, a real crime that's being perpetrated, they can label it as fake news. And people will deviate that from, you know, deviate from that story too. So they can, you know, place that label on anything they want. And so that, so that label is put on anything, you know, being, being real or being fake, you know, people won't, won't be able to, you know, people will deviate from it. So that's what I'm getting from what you're saying. Well, here's, here's an idea. Well, here's an idea. Could it be like a, a sort of contingency plan? Because, now that there's more people sort of aware that there's these fake hoax events, so there's going to be like yeah. some level of potential because like somebody could, I mean, something can happen in my general area and I go over there with a camera or something. I'm just saying hypothetically, and I just happen to catch something like super incriminating and I, I run home and I put it on the internet and I say, Hey, look at this, check it out. This is like, this is like, so, so there's, so there, what they're establishing maybe is this contingency so that like in the future, if, if something like that were to occur, like so some, some, somebody somewhere like, um, just cold bust them just like, and then exposes it. Like where, where they catch something with their cell phone and they could put it online and say, yeah, this is obvious. They're obviously staging a fake this. Look at this, you know, so that yeah. they could. So when it comes down to it, they've already preconditioned people to like, this this contingency where if like something where it just busts it wide open where it's just like undeniable uh, proof that okay this is a staging so they can then come back and say yeah you know what we and we fell for it and it, it was the it, it's this you know it, it's just like what we talked about this fake news these 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 russians did it or whatever and they set this up and we we fell for it sorry about that Something like that, something along that order. Maybe that's maybe that's a bit. But this of a stretch, has happened but. before. The end of World War II, they wanted to ensure that the people of America 
could uh, justify the sacrifice of their sons across, you know, the waters. There's a book yeah. by Frida Utley, U-T-L-E-Y. It's a PDF file. It was published, I think, in 1948 by, oh, it was a, a really important committee. Anyway, she was there with then General Eisenhower and how they had all these media trucks come in. They they painted those gas chambers a different color than they should have been. They should have been kind of like a blue-gray because of the nature of those gas pellets. It, it, it's an interesting read. It's a very interesting read. What is it called again? Uh, it's called The High Cost of Vengeance by Frida Utley, U-T-L-E-Y. It's okay, a PDF file. Everybody can look at it. it she's an interesting person. Uh, she'd been a, a full-on communist until she realized that it was just an idea. The reality was much different. You know, she escaped from Russia with her child. Her husband was killed in a communist concentration camp. You know, he led some type of uh, starvation. Uh, what did they do that? Like to try to prove a point. Hunger strike, that's it. And they shot him in the back, execution style, for doing that. It was the only thing he had left. And that was near the Arctic <laughs> Circle where that camp was. Hmm. But I find the writings compelling. How much of this uh, did Eisenhower do to accommodate Stalin? Goodness, um, in that book, there's just so much to it. I, I'm afraid to say, answer that question because I may not do it justice. But it's a free PDF file, and you could read it yourself. You know, she talks about interactions with him and the media trucks and how they staged the the concentration camps. You know, there was all these media films about it. You know, everybody thought they did the right thing for God and country. They even skewed the numbers. They even skewed the numbers, which I never thought could be possible. But that was a psyop. Just like with, uh, you know, all the different shootings. Those are psyops. And gaslighting, making a person or entity look so crazy and not vetted, that you don't believe them when they speak. Gaslighting. You know, it can be done in many different forms. But it's definitely done in the media. I've seen that myself. You better explain the, background, ba- the background reference on that to the uh, movie the movie starring uh, Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer called uh, Gaslight. Is that right? Yes, that's a really good movie, and and that's with a relationship, making the woman look so crazy that she's not believed, and then she questions herself. I just... Yeah. Horrible. That's very interesting. So, so, but if I'm understanding this correctly, you're saying that the concentration camps were not, you know, know, the, the amount of deaths that were attributed to the concentration camps are not, you know, you're exaggerated or, or non-existent? Is that what I'm... No, am they, I they skewed the numbers. They skewed the numbers. They also made the gas chamber. They repainted it. If you look at the pictures back then, and the 3D up, up I don't know about it. Sorry? Yeah, I don't know. I said none of them are real. Right. No, but if you look at it... You know, why would the paint be brand new? 
Yeah, so I don't know about the little... tape, but you know, I, 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 I'll agree with you on there about the skewed, skewed numbers because if you look mm -hmm. at the concentration camps, the amount of uh, furnaces and you know that they have, and you know if you look back at the numbers about the amount of people they were killing every day and the capacity that they had to burn these people or execute them. Know, it's basically almost impossible. You know, they could get away with a few hundred. You know, there were no thousand. ovens. Hmm? There was not. There was no ovens, and they didn't put Zyklon B in the showers. In fact, Zyklon B is a delousing agent, not a not a no, no, yeah, gas but, but in, in, in regards to the amount possible, you know, the possible amount that you could be executing and burning in the furnaces, at least in that angle. It's really, uh, it's, it can't be six million. It, 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 it can only go lower to so, you know, a certain amount of people because they only had a few furnaces. You know, to be able to execute that amount of people and burn them, that's going to take a lot, a huge, uh, huge capacity for it. So yeah, I don't believe I'm not in the numbers in the Holocaust. That it wasn't a horrible thing. It was a horrible thing. There was no reason for them to skew the numbers unless they needed to convince the masses. That oh, yeah. uh, your, your I, boys I, went over. No, I do believe war crimes are committed, but yeah, I don't believe the high amount of deaths attributed. But I do believe there were war crimes. Yes. I don't want to mercy, mercy, mercy. Yep. Closing up shop time. Yeah, that was a good call. Was a good show. First time I listened. Oh, good. Yeah, glad to have you on. Do you talk yeah. about the vaccines at all? Uh, yeah, I talked about it several times. There's a couple of past calls where I went into it pretty extensively, and I went into the courts, uh, about the vaccine courts and all that. Ugh, that's yeah. not really a court. You know, that's... Yeah, yeah, it's a... <laughs> that's crazy. Scam operation. But I was an insider with the CDC whistleblower before you we were 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 brought on. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Um, yeah, we could uh, hopefully we'll pick it up next Monday, same time. Try to usually do this the same, keep it keep it to the same schedule and everything. So uh, yeah, you're welcome to come back, all of y'all. Uh, we had Lynn on, and uh, let's see who else we have. Uh, we had Al Gore. Um, yeah, Al Gore, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, wherever Al Gore is, Bill Clinton is too. So, at Bill sure. Clinton, token uh, away. Yeah, I didn't introduce myself. I'm Mason. Hi, you're Mason. Mason. Okay, thanks, Mason, for coming on, man. Uh, you called him. Yeah, thanks Mason. for the call, Chris. Sure, man. It was uh, good to have you on. And uh, had caller guy Eli, too. And uh, now, did you give your first name? You're from the guy from Puerto Rico? Huh? Did you give your first name or Eli? Is uh, You go by Eli? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's my, my first name. My name is Eli Hernandez. All right, cool, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on, dude. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, good to have you. And... Uh, Oh, uh, we didn't get a chance to get to Adam. It looked like uh, he's holding. I just came back to the chat, noticed that he was holding. But uh, yeah, hopefully, call back in next time. Uh, yeah, it was real good. Um, yeah, thanks again, everybody, for coming out. Uh, yeah, I was uh, gonna think. 
people who donated, Jan, Jill, Jim, Matthew, and uh, Fakeologist. Got to know what you're saying. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, it helps kind of keep things chugging along here. Equipment and uh, whatnot, software. It's always kind of something that, you know, crops up that uh, requires expenditure. But uh, I also got the uh, streamer service and all that stuff I got to pay for. It's uh, it's not that much, but it, you know, runs into money eventually when you're paying it monthly. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate that, everybody. And uh, check out hoaxbusterscall.com. And uh, that will be some postings on there, links of interest and all of that. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it for this evening. So thanks, everybody, for coming out. Everybody in the chat as well that participated and everything. And uh, Cole, thank hopefully. Excuse me? No, th- uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you for the show and allowing people to talk in, in this call. Oh, yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks for uh, participating and coming out. Appreciate that. And hopefully y'all could uh, come back on next Monday. All right. Well, goodbye. Yep. Have Have a good night. Night. <laughs> right. Check Have out Trump's view on vaccines. It's highly controversial. Yeah, we can uh, right. go into that. That's uh, that's open for discussion too. So it's not mm-hmm. not off the table. But uh, yeah, sounds good. All right, y'all have a good night and uh, take care. Happy holidays. You too. Thank you for listening to the Hoaxbusters Call. You can subscribe to the podcast at hoaxbusterscall.com. You can support the Hoaxbusters Call by rating it on iTunes, sharing it on social media. a donation at hoaxbusterscall.com Conspicuous graffiti in public places Hoaxbusters Call Conspiracy Just Theory be called a neo-behaviorist and he trained at the Yale Institute of Human Behavior and he was quite unusual. I think his background was unusual and he was also an unusually perceptive and sensitive man and one of the first and most significant um, experiments he did was called a preparatory set in which he had um, a a human being lie down or usually it was a student lie down and be attached to electrodes that would deliver a shock whenever a light um, went on. And then so he would shine the light and then shock the student. And at that point, several people elected to discontinue the experiment. 
But those who persisted, he would then vary the experiment by showing the light and then not shocking them, or showing the light and shocking them. He would sort of uh, make it unpredictable. And he discovered that people's state of anxiety and uh, fear actually increased when the shock didn't come, when they were just waiting for a shock to come, or when they didn't know if a shock would ever come. And he said it actually created a, an atmosphere of pervasive fear and uh, and anxiety, and he even called it dread or terror. We have to remind ourselves that we are facing an enemy that is planning all over this world, and it turns out planning inside our country to come here and kill us. And he said that that atmosphere could be ratcheted up progressively the more the experiment continued and the more um, unpredictable the shocks were, so that after a while, the, when the shock came, the pain actually was experienced as relief and almost pleasure by the subject. He called it a nervous breakdown, or what he described in another part of the article as the ultimate demoralization of behavior. What he extracted from this experiment was the idea that there was such a thing as a coercive stimulus that could actually be used to create a, an environment of dread or terror or anxiety from a low to a high level, and that the scientists could actually, it was almost as if they were turning the volume on a stereo, they could um, decide how much of that atmosphere, how intense they would like it to be. And one big fake. Yeah. <laughs>